Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Report. Live or Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us. Coming up on today's show, going to be joined by David Alexander, the former NFL player, spent 10 years in the National Football League, also a standout at the University of Tulsa and a high school football coach in the state of Oklahoma. We will get his thoughts on everything from NIL's effect to high school recruits, uh, as well as his thoughts on uh, some Big 12 football and around the NFL with him when he joins us coming up later on. Plus, we'll have Coach Bo's Football Fix presented by O'Connor Advisory Group, as well as our Tom Fullery Story of the Week at the end of the show. In just a little while from right now, we'll have our Big 12 breakdown as well. Plenty to get to on today's show. Glad to have you with us. Thanks for stopping by and making us a part of your day here on the Jones Sport. Thomas Bridges also here with me as well. And Tom is getting close. The countdown to kickoff is on. It's the time of the year, I think, we're just passing by the days of playing uh, NCAA 14 and maybe watching a little bit of the uh, Little League World Series here and there as well. I think watching the Little League World Series, Tom, actually, has been, like, surprisingly good. I've accomplished a lot in my broadcast career at this point. I think my next step, I might just want to call Little League baseball games. I mean, there's times I watch that. I'm just as entertained by that as I am, like, actual baseball. You know, well, I mean, it's kind of like the college football. uh, Well, like the college version of MLB. I mean, in the offseason, at least. Like, sure, you have college baseball, but. Uh, you know, I'll be honest with you. I don't really watch um, little little league. I did see the Tulsa pitcher give a hug, and that was a controversy. Oh, that was BS. Like you save the the hugs and all that for after the game. Yeah, I agree too. I did think that that was a little much, but like I said, I don't really watch little league. I'll tell you what I've been interested in from. Um, just a lack of football perspective and a fantasy perspective is um, preseason football. I've been big on that. Got a two TV setup now, not playing around anymore. Yeah. You got to have, I think if you're a real one, you have to have at least two TVs in the living room. I mean, you know, I wasn't a real one, I guess, then for a long time, but I got them set up now. I got YouTube TV. I mean, when, um, as soon as ES, or as soon as OSU plays the game on ESPN Plus, I'll get it for that month, and then I'll have it set up. I think that if anything, you got to have two TVs set up because you got to be watching our chat sports watch parties on one screen, and then the game on the other screen. And boy, did we have a good time, Tom. You were involved the other night. Uh, in the chat room, getting the chat going, getting people worked up. And we had updates of a guy from a quinceanera telling us what was going on. Uh, I put down a couple beer boots during the broadcast. I mean, that was a heck of a time. That was our first one, and we got more coming up. We're going to do another tonight for this Seahawks Bears game. But I'm telling you, that second screen viewing experience, we go all out of chat sports. That was a lot of fun. We got some exciting stuff ahead there. Yeah, that was fun. I, I threw you some money to make sure you did a boot, beer boot by halftime and 
you know, everybody, I, I appreciate you shouting me out because everybody in the chat knew I was a Rams fan, but I was still contributing um, to the actual chat and, you know, monetarily as well and got you doing a beer boot. And, you know, I'll pop in your chats. Obviously, you know how much I hate the Seahawks. Um, probably, I'm trying to think now, just because the Seahawks are going to be bad, probably hate the Niners the most right now but the Seahawks are still on that level and then no one outweighs my hate for the Dallas Cowboys so uh you know I I do wish there was a Rams chat sports and I wish you were the lead of that one um because I'd I'd probably end up funding your salary because I'd probably be drunk during the game and probably irrationally throw money at you um but yeah it was it was a lot of fun I had my buddy Evan with me um, watching that was his first chat experience. I'm uh, experience. Yep. And he got in on it. Uh, I told him, I said, Hey, watch this. Or, you know, I said, Hey, check this out. This is what Tyler does. And he even threw some money, I think a couple of times. And, um, he really had a blast watching you. And so, you know, it was exciting and, uh, you know, I'll probably try to stop in tonight. I'll be doing karaoke, but, um, a little bit before that, I'll probably stop in and, and talk some trash for the Rams. Um, so, you know, I got to I gotta make my name worthwhile in the chat sports community because uh, there's no Rams chat. So I'll I'll make myself known over the course of the season. Right. But we had a lot of fun. The, the guy at the Quinceanera, shout out to my guy, That Fat Rat for checking in in the chat, giving us updates from a quinceanera. Can't say I've ever been to a quinceanera, but this guy claimed, and I might be calling Cap on this, Tom. This I'm guy calling. in the chat was claiming to be at a quinceanera that he tried Dr. Pepper for the very first time because that was my favorite pop, and that he, roll, he rode a mechanical bull for 45 seconds, all while watching – our Seahawks watch party on Saturday night. That that seemed like a lot. I might have to call Cap on that. I'll call Cap. I won't call Cap on the Dr. Pepper. I can see that. But I'm I'm calling Cap 100% on the 46 second, unless they had a lame-ass operator. <laughs> because if I was the operator, he would get thrown. After 15 seconds, he's getting thrown. Too many people in line for the damn mechanical bull to be lasting almost a minute. What about, do you think the quinceanera was real? I would hope so. It was a what? It was a Saturday night? Yeah, I believe it. Now that we've had somebody checking in from a quinceanera, I need somebody to check in from a bar mitzvah. I mean, Chug said he was Jewish. I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, Chug's had a bar mitzvah. I, I love that Chug said that he felt like a changed man the very next day, that it was like a night and day difference. It was real for him. Um, speaking of, you should watch, speaking of bar mitzvahs, you should watch the movie. I believe it's on, I'm trying to think what platform it's on. Might be on Hulu, might be on Netflix. It's called, uh, I believe it's called Cha-Cha Slide. And uh, it's a great movie, and it's somewhat centered around uh, bar mitzvahs. It's a great movie. Um, so shout out that movie. Um, and it has, um, 
Oh, I can't think of her name. She's she's very attractive though. I'm looking it up right now to give you the the deets. Um, she's fairly popular. Um, what's Dakota Johnson? Okay, she's in that movie. It's on Apple TV. But if you know me and you're listening to the show, you can definitely DM me, and I'll give you the link to not have to pay for Apple TV on the DL. I won't. I won't give away my source on on uh, on a podcast for fear of it getting canceled. So, great movie though. I didn't. I don't pay for Apple TV and still watch Ted Lasso and still watch Cha Cha. Well, it's called Cha Cha Real Smooth. My my bad. The Cha Cha Slide. That's uh, that's the DJ in me. We have our uh, draft season segment coming up later, and if we're gonna get canceled, it's not for your Apple TV plus situation it's going to be for that later on we're going to be drafting our best conspiracy theories you know it's going to get interesting yeah gosh uh that one's going to be fun uh, coming up later on but i'll say this much you know chugsy said that he had a bar mitzvah going growing up i've been to a bar mitzvah before it was a good time um can't say i've ever been to a quinceanera uh, I know that I'm not Hispanic and I'm not a female, so that's you know that's two things counting against me. But I feel like Tom, I, I was deprived as a child. Like I didn't have like some big coming of age ceremony or, or something. Like you know, I, I'm I'm a Native American, you know, you know, Christian guy, you know, and, and I didn't get to have that type of thing growing up. I, I felt like I was ripped off of some sort. You didn't even get to go to a powwow, huh? I mean, like, I've been to powwows, but that didn't change from me being more of a man of some sorts. I felt like that was taken from me, like something that was missing. Can I go back in time and, like, can we do this over again? Like, can I can I join the Jewish faith or something for a day and have, like, a bar mitzvah or something? See, I like to think that, that uh, over time, over the, the, the copious amounts of nights that we've been out on the town, I, I like to think of that as your um... – I don't know what the word is for it. Not a like coming of age. Kind of your coming of age. I feel like you meeting Billy and I in our nights out. Even Ho- you can throw in Jose and Meg in there too. Um, I mean, Jose's got footage of me even recently, like on his doorstep, that we'll just leave for the imagination. See, there you go. Your your coming of age is a milk carton story. <laughs> yes. Yes, gosh, uh, those those memories will uh, will just kind of keep out there, you know, uh, on that one. But maybe that was my coming of age was experiencing things. I mean, you like to tell people you've made it known in the chat that you, I taught you, that you taught me to drink beer. I mean, I, I'm I'm sure I've gotten some flack in your inner circle, uh, at least your. Kawita slash BA circle. I, I said, mean, well, you weren't with me though the first time I did. That's true. I do remember. I'll, I'll tell you this. I remember right before you went to college. I said, Jones, you think you're, you know, because I'd been a pro at, at throwing back drinks long before you went to college. Well, when we were, when we first met, I was a pro at throwing back drinks. Um, not as pro as I am now, but I, I'm, I'm about to go into retirement, I think. Um, 
but when we first met, I uh, when you when well, I guess when you said, oh, "Okay, yeah, I'm going to KU, I'm going to Lawrence," and I said, "Do you think you're going to drink while you're there?" And you said, "No, absolutely not." Give it about nine months and maybe less than that. And I, you know. so I, I remember my first drink uh, was I was nineteen. I was at a party and uh, I had a s'more and my throat was like all sticky and everything. Not that type of thing. Uh, <laughs> See, you would have never said that at eighteen. Right. And, and, uh, I wanted like some water to drink or something. And the, the only option was Boulevard wheat. And what, what, what did I know? I had no idea years later, Tom, that was going to be my favorite beer. My very first beer was my favorite beer. See, that's crazy. My first beer, I think was a, uh, first drink of beer was a lot younger I, I I believe I was under the age of seven, and it was a uh, drink of a Natty Light. It was my first taste, and then later on, you know, I had got drunk probably at sixteen or seven. I believe I was like sixteen at the time at a wedding. Um, long before I knew I would end up DJing them, and I got drunk at a wedding. My parents said, "You know, you can have a couple of these," and they were okay with it. But then I took it to a new level, and then was drunk on the way home and then my parents were mad at me and then after that i didn't drink until after i graduated high school in summer before i went to oklahoma state i uh, indulged heavily so and then it's all been downhill from there that's what i said I'm, I'm about in retirement stage um but yeah i mean there's 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 a couple of uh stories we won't share on here that i could that i could say that i've been influential in your some would call it a downfall. Some would call it an upbringing. The, the Summer of Jones did not exist, was not a thing, until uh, I started enjoying the bubbly on the regular. You know. Everybody enjoys the bubbly at one point in time. Right. Um, I mean, my life changed. I guess that would be my, uh, <laughs> my, coming, of my, it. my coming of age, you know. I guess, Tom, we could call this opening segment. We'll, we'll put it in the description this way. I remember my first beer. <laughs> there you go. That, that's it right there. You've been on a you've been on a years long bar mitzvah. <laughs> my my summer of Joneses over the last few years have been my coming of age. We uh, just we just haven't got to dance you around on a chair yet. Right. And I hope that we don't have to retire the Summer of Jones anytime soon. Now, David Starr, uh, our buddy David, tried saying that the Summer of Jones is canceled, but it's definitely not. I mean, we have a few more weeks left, and we got to finish strong. Like, we got to go hard. Like, I, I haven't even seen Tom yet this entire Summer of Jones. We can't leave Tom out. I thought you seen me. I'm, I, no, you came over. We went out for your. I guess your birthday was the beginning of Summer Jones. Okay, at the very beginning. That's right. Yeah, I forgot. My own birthday. Okay. But, no, we got a few more weeks left. You know, we got to go out on top, essentially. So, with that, uh, we'll move on. We have plenty of things to get to on today's show. Our Big 12 breakdown is next. Uh, later on, we will get to 
Uh, David Alexander joining us. We have our draft season segment talking conspiracy theories this week. And then uh, later on at the end of the show, we'll have our Tom Fullery story of the week. So plenty to get to on today's show. Thanks for joining us here on the Jones Report this week. Welcome in to the Big 12 Breakdown. Tyler Jones, Thomas Bridges here with you as we take a look around the Big 12 Conference as we are just a few weeks away from the college football season officially beginning. And Tom, what a time it is with the uh, AP poll officially out the preseason poll this week. And I want to begin there for this uh, Big 12 conference of where things stack up. And first and foremost, I'm glad that the AP drank responsibly, if you want to call it that, with Texas not being in the AP top 25. Comparably speaking, the coaches poll had Texas not only just in the top 25, but receiving a first place vote on that front, nonetheless. But of looking at the Big 12 picture in the first AP Top 25 poll, Oklahoma comes in at number nine, Baylor comes in 10, Oklahoma State at 12. That is three Big 12 teams within the top 12 of the rankings, second only to the SEC. And then beyond that, what's also interesting is the – New guys making their way into the Big 12. They make their presence known. Cincinnati at 23, Houston at 24, BYU at 25. And where that stacks up is that the new blood in the Big 12, the future Big 12 conference, has more teams in the top 25 than the current Big 12 conference does. So – while there's uncertainty about the future of the TV deal and who's going to join the league beyond the next four of Cincinnati, Houston, UCF, and BYU of trying to get Pac-12 schools or anything like that, what I can tell you is that the talent of play in the Big 12 Conference is good right now, and it's going to remain competitive, and there's still going to be good football in the future. These are positive signs. And Tom, I find myself rooting for these future Big 12 members too. I hope they succeed and have big years as well. Oh, 100%. And, you know, Fox uh, College Football right now is doing a uh, essentially a pick 'em segment on best fan bases um, in college football. And I can tell you of the Sweet 16. You can and what I've heard from the Elite Twelve that includes OU and Texas. Um, nine members, nine essentially. If you wanted to include OU and Texas plus the four new Big Twelve members, nine of those teams in the Sweet Sixteen of the fan, the best fan base pick them on Fox College Football, were from the Big Twelve. Um, eight of those would have been. Eight of those are current, um, and then you could include OU. Um, so, you know, I, I think, I think in the words of Kendrick Lamar, we going to be all right, you know, uh, in terms <laughs> of, if, you're, if you're a big 12 guy, we going to be all right. You know, I, I, have, I'm, 
I have a lot of promise or I'm showing a lot of promise for the new big 12. Um, and I, you know, it might not be forever. Right. I, I'd like to bring that and, and be forthcoming about that. And in, in terms of what we've seen in college football expansion and what we've seen in terms of teams leaving for, for greener pastures, whether that be the grass isn't always greener or the grass is sometimes greener. Um, it might not be forever, um, whether that be, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years or less than that. Um, I, I think what the Big 12 has now in terms of just um, variety I think is great and it is welcomed. And I think it's going to be it's going to be very exciting. I mean, you know, we've mentioned it several times. There's going to be big 12 games in all time zones or the potential for that. So I think as if you're a big 12 fan, if you're a fan of a big 12 team and you're kind of worried about the state of the league at this point, or you're, you're worried just about where your team might go. I'd say stop and smell the roses for a little bit. Um, and and take this time for what it is. Um, like I said, I, I, I don't envision this current new big 12, um, staying this way for as long as the OG Big 12 remained. You know, that that's a 25-year, not even that. Um, right. Well, and we got news within the last couple of days. The Big 12 title game is staying in Arlington at AT&T Stadium. And so that tradition, that identity, you are still going to have, you know, arguably the best site for the conference championship game of any of the power conferences. Um and you have good football members on the way. It, it looks like, you know, it, it's going to be tough to try to swing bringing in these Pac-12 schools. But the thing that I would say to encourage the Big 12 faithful, for those that are sticking around, uh, you know, the, the little 12 or the hateful eight, whatever you want to call them, is that the league is still in good hands. That if there is no other movement, they don't add anyone else. This is still a good league as is. You hope to get better, and there's momentum, and and you know the the odds of things right now. I heard this said by uh, by John Kurtz, uh, who covers the league, and and he says that you know if you had to put betting odds on it right now, the Pac-12 has about a three and a half point uh, spread to remain intact of its current 10 members. But that's not a big margin. I mean, that's what the odds are as is probably, but that doesn't mean that anything's for certain by any stretch of the imagination. And that's that's not a huge margin. There's still a chance you could bring those members in, but it's not the end of the world if you don't end up getting them right now. Uh, this is a long-term play, still a ways to go. The main thing is you like seeing that the Big 12 is aggressive uh, with their approach, approach of trying to snag a couple members, as is. And, and that's what we've been asking for for a better part of the decade with this league is to be proactive, not reactionary. And credit where credit's due, the new Big 12 membership, at least they're trying, at least they're attempting to be proactive anyway. So with that said, let's go ahead and I, I want to look at these teams, these Big 12 teams of the current members that are in – the uh, top 12 there, starting with Oklahoma at nine. And 
The Sooners, what's interesting is, yes, Brent Venables walks into a situation where Oklahoma lost a lot, a lot of changes within this Oklahoma football program and players that transferred away like Caleb Williams and um, you know Mike Williams and company and all that. You bring in Dylan Gabriel and all that. But it is worth noting that Oklahoma, even with all of that, a new head coach and everything, is still favored in every single game this next year. And they get Baylor and Oklahoma State both at home next season as well. And their toughest non-conference game is against Nebraska, who, although there's higher expectations for, they are a popular pick to bounce back and be a contender in the Big Ten this year. With that said, the jury's still out on Nebraska as is. So with that said, even with all that Oklahoma's been through, Brent Venable's Tom has been gifted a pretty good schedule this year that that looks pretty favorable for Oklahoma. Although on paper, Oklahoma might not have the talent of one of the top four teams in the country, the schedule is going to help them still be a contender for this college football playoff. We cannot write off the Sooners as a potential playoff team this year. No, and we never can. And and until they move to the SEC, I still don't even think we can. And even then, um, you know, it, it'll be very interesting to see how they do this year. Um, I obviously, for one, and I'm sure you can guess it, I'm, I'm rooting for somewhat of the demise. And I, I think, I think Texas gets more root for the demise than the Sooners do in terms of Big 12 fans rooting against the team for leaving the Big 12. And I, for one, am on the bandwagon that I hope both lose every game. But um, to stay non-biased, and I still recognize that the Sooners are definitely a threat to still make the college football playoff because if they go through the season, have one loss, and still win the Big 12, uh, they're going to be a top four team. While maybe not talent-wise, they'll still be in the playoff. They'll get blown out in the first semifinal um, as they routinely do but nonetheless they will take that spot um, I mean you can argue right now and and rightfully so that it's it's the the AP poll got it right and it's OU Baylor and Oklahoma State um, I think Baylor and Oklahoma State are a lot closer I think you could flip-flop those teams essentially um, granted that Oklahoma State and Baylor was you know OSU you give them another chance to get it in from the one that still haunts me. You get it in from the one yard line and Baylor is probably lower than even 12 um, on the AP poll. If, if OSU gets the job done in Arlington last season. And that's an interesting point. uh, Bringing us to our next team Baylor here. Look, Baylor lost a lot. I don't know if people realize that, that, you know, they only return about half their starters from last year. Now, Dave Aranda's done a really good job recruiting for that Baylor program and can, you know, taking the right steps in the right direction there. But yeah, they are the reigning Big 12 champs. And I know people are excited about Blake Shapin. And I know that just haunts Thomas just hearing the name Blake Shapin after his performance in the Big 12 championship game. You know, it wasn't even that. It was LSU screwed themselves more than Blake Shapin actually did work. Right. right? But e- e- even with all that said, as good as Blake Shapin played, and credit where credit's due, he was phenomenal 
in that Big 12 championship game last year, he still doesn't have a, a ton of experience here. I mean, there's still going to be a learning curve for Blake Shapen. And, you know, I, I think that he's a very good quarterback, and I think that he's going to be an upgrade from what they had last year. But, you know, top 10 for Baylor? I mean, I'm happy for them. I'm happy for them that they they found their way into the preseason top 10. But, I mean, let, let's see them kind of earn it first. Let's, let's see how this team adapts. I think it might be uh, a little bit early to already be claiming Baylor is a top 10 team right now. It, yeah, if they lose that Big 12 championship game, if OSU punches that in by inches, Baylor's lucky to be 15th. And I'm not trying to hate on Baylor. I'm just being honest. Um, you know, it's, it's, you know, sure. Like I think the AP top 25 has to put in the big 12 winner somewhere. Right. Even if they lose, you know, some, you know, some key players on defense, mainly in the defensive back department. And then, um, you know, you lose some QB death. Obviously you don't have Jared Bohannon, um, as a backup, even though, you know, I, I thought Dave Aranda did right by him, letting him know that Chapin was going to be the guy. Um, you lose some, you lose some top wide receivers as well. Not to say that OU hasn't lost a lot, and not even to say that Oklahoma State hasn't lost a lot. Um, but just the history of Baylor, looking back over the past couple of years, yes, Dave Aranda is a great coach, um, but but we've seen Baylor go ride the roller coaster, right? And so I'm not, I'm not convinced that that Baylor's a top 10 team. And I'm not saying Oklahoma State's a top 10 team either. I just – I don't think that Baylor right now deserves a top 10 spot. I, I would be fine with them at 12, and you could even put Baylor 12 and Oklahoma State 13th. I think that would be more apt. But, you know, we're going to really find out um, Oklahoma State and Baylor's Big 12 opener is against each other in Waco on October 1st. And – I I think that game is going to be the turning point for either one of those programs. You win that game, and it, the season's looking up. You lose that game, and you're going to have to do some soul-searching on what kind of team you want to be for the rest of the season. Well, even then, like their non-conference, you, you play a future Big 12 member in BYU uh, <laughs> on September 10th in Provo, I mean – that's an early test. I mean, right away, there's there's not much time for Baylor to figure things out. We mentioned this is a young team, but would anybody be shocked if BYU takes care of business and wins at home and makes a statement in that week two ball game there? I mean, not I at all. Think that the I would think the line on that game is what maybe Baylor by two or three. Yeah, in Provo, I, I would say maybe the opening I mean, line. A nine fifteen central kickoff too late night in in Utah like that's that's, I, some, that's some hibby jibby stuff right there. Yeah, I'd say at most Baylor's a three and a half point favorite coming out, and then the line drops to two. Right, so that's going to be interesting there. Um, Oklahoma State uh, coming in at number twelve. You know, I don't know how many people know this, but. Spencer Sanders was the conference player of the year last year, the offensive player of the year. Now, Spencer might be one of the worst Big 12 offensive player of the year award winners. And, I mean, that's not a knock on him. That's just 
reality. I mean, Spencer Sanders, and Tom's been very critical of him too, has been so up and down. I mean, I think Oklahoma State fans sit here and they're like, why can't we get Cheez-It Bowl Spencer Sanders every week? And then there's performances like he had against Baylor with four turnovers, and you're like, what the hell is going on here? Well, and then you turn around and go to the Fiesta Bowl, and he plays out of his mind. After a bad first half, you know, it was it was quite a turnaround there. I mean, it's so inconsistent. Here he is. He's been there a while now. Uh, for Oklahoma State to go far, and far is win the Big 12. I mean, it's got to be consistent every week. And, and it's not even, Tom, I would say – having to go out there and throw three or four touchdowns every week, it's not turning the ball over two, three, four times every week. I mean, if he can just cut back on the turnovers, we're not saying that he's got to go out there and win the Heisman. But if he can just take care of the football better, this Oklahoma State team is going to be a lot better off. I'd even say, I'd even go as far to say, and this is hindsight 2020, he has three interceptions instead of four in that Baylor game. Oklahoma State wins that game by more than a touchdown. Um, there's several games where you cut those turnovers in half, whether that be two interceptions, three interceptions, what have you. Oh, she's in a lot better spot. I, I agree with you. Spencer Sanders is going to take this Cowboys team as, as far as he is he as far as he can take them. You know the defense. I've heard a lot of good things. I haven't even heard any bad, which I don't think they would release necessarily any bad on a new coach. But in terms of defensive coordinator replacing Glenn Spencer, um, I mean, Glenn Spencer is going to be tough to replace. But I think they did about as good as they could have hiring Derek Mason. I, I I've heard a lot of good things on um, on Derek Mason, and um, you know, I I, I think that he's going to be a-okay. Um, and, and from what I've heard, Gundy said, I think two days ago, he's one of the most intelligent guys he's ever been around. Um, and, and I think I, I think that we're, we're going to be pretty good. And, and Jones, I, I'll tell you what, we had a, a, a mishap there. I said Glenn Spencer, um, and I'll say this because me and Billy talked about previous DCs before we should have mentioned Jim Knowles. It was Jim Knowles that's replaced. So how quick we forget. Yeah. It was it was Jim Knowles and before that Glenn Spencer and then before that I forget and then maybe Bill Young. But God rest Glenn Spencer's soul. But Jim Knowles, man, I feel like sacrilegious saying that. But yeah, Jim Knowles, Ohio State, he'll do great. I I, I think a lot of the people think that Oklahoma State defense is going to have a drop off. You know, you lose you lose Jared Bernard Converse to um, LSU. You lost Malcolm Rodriguez to the draft, and he's doing well with the Detroit Lions. And you lose Tanner McAllister, I believe, to Ohio State. Um, but they have Corey Black and uh, Jabbar Muhammad at cornerback. And, and, and to be honest, they're going to have a little bit of learning curve, I think, at first. But then you talk about the front line and – and, and names like Tyler Lacey and Trace Ford and Brock Martin and Brendan Evers. And it's that that front defensive four or five. Trace rotating. Ford's got a chance to be a first-round pick. Trace Ford, absolutely. Yeah, and, and we haven't seen a lot of him because of injuries. But if he stays healthy, 
I, I guarantee you, and I'll put money on this, Jones. I'll put you a hundred dollars down. Then, if that front four or five uh, rotating in and out stays healthy, that's a top five front. I don't know. You could call it a front four. Uh, the the quarterbacks in the Big Twelve are not going to have a whole lot of time when they play OSU. That's why I don't I don't stress on on the newer defensive backs very much um, because they're going to get a lot of help from the front four. One thing with this Oklahoma State team too that that catches my eye is not just Brendan Presley, but his brother Braylon Presley, who's coming in, was one of the I this is not a stretch, one of the greatest Oklahoma high school players of all time. Uh, was incredible at Bigsby with what he was able to do. And now you bring those two together. And we're going to see Brennan not only play wide receiver, but also, you know, be on punt and kick return coverage. Um, I hope that they can get Braylon on the field right away because as good as Brennan is, Braylon may even be better, Tom. Yeah, he very well may be. And, we, you know, we saw – really we saw Brennan Presley, his coming out party – um, in the Cheez-It Bowl um, the year before um, against Miami, and, and he had a great game that game. And, and then we saw flashes all year, and then we saw his, his kick return that that was like lightning in a bottle during Bedlam. And, and you know, he's coming into his junior year, um, and I, I think he should be really, really good. But, you know, you, you mentioned his brother Braylon and, and how electric he is. Uh, I mean, there's there's no reason why. There's there's a couple other players too, though. That even if if Braylon doesn't see much time, you got John Paul Richardson, who um, you know he he's wears number seventeen, and OSU fans know about number seventeen. Uh, I believe Dylan Stoner wore it before, and and several other players wore it. Several other slot type receivers wore it previously, but um. You know, he could be a very special coming out party type of player this year. And then you have uh, Talon Shetron, I believe. And then you have, um, oh, the uh, forgive me, the kid out of Beggs, Oklahoma, that's coming in. Um, let me see. Um, he's he's going to be a force to be reckoned with. I believe he was a four-star. Um Oh, I'm trying to think who I'll I'll find his name here shortly. Um, but he's he's gonna be the real type deal. Um and and Oklahoma State, their wide receivers uh could be could be really something um this upcoming. You're talking about CJ Brown, yeah. Yep, and yep, I believe it's CJ Brown. Yep, and, and he's he's gonna be a force to be reckoned with. So here's one more question. Uh, before we kind of kind of wrap up here, uh, we mentioned the three Big Twelve teams in the top twelve in, in the poll. On the outside looking in, the next couple of teams that come to mind are Texas and Kansas State. And I think the national media would love to pick kind of Texas. You know, the the Texas is back question, which we've you know asked for a decade now, right? And we've made fun of Sam Ellinger for what he said and all that. No, the national media, the mainstream media, would love nothing more than to see Texas reemerge and you know be a, a good team again. Um, but from those that have been around this league, that are covering this league, Tom, it sounds like the whispers are 
that number four team is not going to be Texas, although Texas could be better. I mean, it's hard to be much worse than what they were at five and seven. And you bring in, you know, one of the all-time highest recruited quarterbacks ever in Quinn Ewers. I mean, you should improve from five and seven. But with that being said, Texas, the talk around Big 12 territory is that it's not necessarily them as the number four team, but that K-State could emerge, that the Wildcats could be that breakout team in 2022 that could wreak havoc and cause problems and get some upsets and maybe even work their way to nine or ten wins. They could be that number four team. Would you rather put your money on Texas or K-State right now if you had to choose? You know, I, I just just how K-State plays, and, you know, you can go back and, and look at what K-State's been able to accomplish over the past few years, you know, beating OU twice and uh, just just sort of playing the kind of same ball. You know, granted the coaching has changed and, uh, you know, so, m- so much quarterback controversy of who's going to start and injuries at the quarterback position. Right, they're going to go with Adrian Martinez, the former Nebraska quarterback now. Right, they've put so much, you know, into it, though, that you would think they've been, bit, you know, worse off. I, I think it's a coin flip, honestly. Um, I'd be interested to see what Sark has and what Q, Quinn Evers does. Ewers does, sorry. that You know, I, I think now that maybe, I mean, there's hope around the Texas program that Ewers is, is what maybe – in terms of talent and and talent ability wise, what like Sam Ellinger could do, um, but even then, I'm I, I'm not sure that Texas is even back in in the stands to to compete for the Big Twelve. With as uh, much hype as Quinn Ewers has gotten, if he's Sam Ellinger, that's going to be a disappointment. Like, yeah, you need yeah, him I'm to not- be closer to Colt McCoy and Vince Young for him to be a success. With as hype right. as he's been. He's got to be that level to be a success, personally, I think. Now, as far as that K-State team goes, um, Adrian Martinez, if he cuts back on the turnovers, kind of like what we talked about with Spencer Sanders, two similar players, then watch out. I mean, we know he's athletic as can be. The player I'm watching for that K-State team is Deuce Vaughn. Deuce Vaughn is my pick to win Big 12 Offensive Player of the Year this year. Um dynamic running back, do-it-all guy, great return man as well. Um, You know, kind of the same lines of whether you're talking Texas or K-State, a lot of the the mainstream is going to point to B. John Robinson as the best running back in this conference. And B. John's good, but I'm putting my money on Deuce Vaughn. I think Deuce Vaughn is going to be electric. He's unstoppable, Tom. Yeah, he is. And, and, you know, the difference between – you, you want to talk about program wise and you want to talk about players and, you know, being prolific Deuce Vaughn, even if K-State loses however many games to start and is kind of out of the big 12 running early on is going to continue to play the rest of his year out. Um, you know, we, we saw it last year kind of with B. John Robinson kind of shut him down. If Texas, and you can believe me here, if Texas fucks up and is, is not looking so hot out of the gate. I would not doubt that B. John Robinson just shuts himself down and waits for the draft. We heard it last year. Um, I'm not writing that potential out. If, if Texas doesn't do so hot, obviously I'd put money on it. I don't know if they'll cover the spread or not, 
Texas is going to get beat by Alabama, and and depending on by how much, there's going to be is if it's close, then we can start talking about Texas being good. If Alabama just blows the doors off of them, they're going to be whether it's whether it's you know I, I guess whether it's legit or not, we are going to hear a lot of people start talking about Texas and and a lot of people putting Sark on the hot seat already. Um, like, like Jones, uh, be honest, there's no way Texas beats Alabama, even in Austin. Oh, no, that, that game's going to be up. I mean, I, I mean, I think I thought I saw a line at, already at Alabama at 17 and a half. I think that's maybe about right now. I take Alabama to cover. I mean, that's going to be on our pick em. We got the pick em coming up. I know you're excited for it. So am I. Uh, you t- you would take at this point Alabama by seventeen and a half at Austin. Oh, absolutely, I would. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, a, a, that's a Johnson Fox eleven a.m. kick. That's uh, this is an all time Alabama team, and I feel like we we say that about every year. But as good as Will Anderson is, and then Bryce Young as well, um, yeah, th- this this Texas team isn't going to be ready for what Alabama brings table but i mean that being said though but we're, we're even even as good as that alabama team is we're gonna see some shots on sark and texas if they just get the doors blown off of them i mean that's a boss it has to be i think alabama would beat every big 12 team by at least 14 that's fair that is fair so you're saying that alabama covers what would you put the line at? you think alabama beats them by more than 24 I put the line about twenty-one. I think that's fair because Texas being at home and everything, um, you know, it could be a slow start, whatever. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, it, it's going to be interesting uh, for sure how that plays out. But there you have it. That's a look at the uh, Big Twelve reaction after the AP Top Twenty-five poll is released. Coming up next, David Alexander joins us. More Big Twelve discussion ahead when DA stops by. The Former NFL talent uh, with the Eagles and with the New York Jets. Also played for the University of Tulsa and uh, coaches high school football in the state of Oklahoma. He joins us on the other side. Stay with us. Excited to bring back to the program this week. He is a 10-year NFL veteran. Also played at the University of Tulsa. One of the all-time greats at TU. It is Dave Alexander who is back on the uh, program once again, and uh, Coach is working this year at Sepulpa High School uh, on the right. offensive staff there, and we're uh, pleased to uh, be joined by him this week. Coach, uh, football already uh, almost here officially, just a, a couple weeks out. I know this time has got to be special for, for you uh, as we're counting down here the days at this point. Yeah, high school football right now in Oklahoma, it's a busy time. You know, we started practice. Um, we're just about, everybody's just about to start school. Some schools have actually started, um, we start Thursday, which is when most high schools around here start. So it's, it's really getting cranked up. Um, you know, scrimmages, everybody's first scrimmage is this Friday, right? And then games are the next week. So it's, uh, it's busy. It's fun. It's a great time. The kids are having a blast. Um, and the coaches are, you know, we're trying to, we're trying to, um, be smart about it and uh, work the kids and get ready to go, but uh, make it fun for them and 
so they all learn it and have have a great time and and see how good we can all get. Yeah, and we mentioned this year you're at Sepulpa, you were at Jinx before. Tell me about uh, that program. Uh, how excited are you to, to work with uh, with that group and compete in the six uh, a two level, which kind of opens up now with uh, Bigsby moving on up. Well, all right. So the the head coach of Sepulpa, uh, a real good friend of mine, Tim Holt, who worked for me at Broken Arrow for seven yeah. years. Great guy. All right. And then um, the the superintendent at Sepulpa is a guy named Rob Armstrong, who I graduated high school with, right? So they've both been trying to get me over to Sepulpa now for a while. So um, it was an opportunity, you know, I figured I'm going to go over there. And uh, uh, Tim said, hey, come be the offensive coordinator. Come be the co-offensive coordinator. You know, let's, let's see if we can turn this place into a winner. Um, you know, I I, uh, I owe Jinx and I owe Keith Riggs a huge debt of gratitude. Um, bring me back over there. You know, I was there for so long with Coach Tremble. And getting to win another championship was obviously uh, the icing on the cake. But <clears throat> this is a challenge uh, unlike anything that I've, I've had. You know, going back to BA, they had never won. Broken had never won championship. But the program had been built up with some great coaches there. You know, Spav and – Rick Jones and, you know, uh, Ron Lancaster. Some great coaches have built that program up. But here at Sepulpa, we're starting really from um, scratch. So uh, I, I'm going to enjoy it. Um, I'm going to enjoy teaching over there. You know, you know, you know Tyler, I'm a, I'm a math teacher teaching. I'm going to be teaching intermediate algebra. That's going to be a blast, uh, which is – I taught algebra too at Jinx. So this – it's just all going to accumulate it into – um, a great opportunity, right? So you, you mentioned uh, Bixby moving up to big 6A1, right? So everybody thinks in 6A2, everybody thinks they got a chance to win the championship, you know? Yeah. Um, and realistically, I'm not sure everybody has a chance to win it this year, but uh, it, it sure does open the opportunities up for um, – there'll be a new champion. There'll be somebody win a championship in 6A2 that probably has never won one or hasn't won one in a really, really long time. Yeah, that's uh, that's exciting. I'm looking forward to it. Certainly going to be uh, rooting on you guys from afar. Uh, that'll be great to see. W one thing I, I was thinking about, Coach, is that, you know, in, in this era of, of NIL and everything, and and you at the, at the high school level, is that already being – talked about with high school kids or are the kids already have in mind, like I need to go to this college and try to find this NIL deal. I mean, I mean, it's, it's hard enough as is with the portal, just to even get these guys uh, to college right. at the D1 right. level right now. But then the NIL stuff, I mean, it's gotta be pretty interesting from the high school standpoint, isn't it? It is. Right. So the, yeah, the, the um, transfer portal has cut really down the number of scholarships that are available for high school kids, which has been, um, uh, you know, and an un, they didn't realize what kind of effect that was going to have on the high school scholarships. But the NIL, so the NIL deal is the kids right now aren't really educated in it yet. There's no way we don't have the time or really the knowledge of the whole thing to educate our kids and what it's going to look like. So they, uh, all they all they talk about though is this guy. Look at the money we just read about this. Look at the money he's getting. Look at the money that guy's getting. And so they're all excited, um, but they really don't know what to be excited about yet. You know, they want their opportunity, uh, but they 
none of us, uh, us high school guys, you know, we're all we're all on the ground floor trying to learn what the heck's going on at the college level too. Um, we know they're all going to get paid something, and the bigger the school you go to, some of these young men, you know, they're making they're making what college the college coaches are making, or some of them more. Yeah, it, it's crazy that uh, it's, it's, got it's, it's it's you know it's um it's just such a new world, right? We're all newbies in it. We're all just trying to figure it out, um, and it's growing, and exploding so fast. You know it. You know you're we're just trying to ride herd on top of everything and just try to stay above it, try to figure it out. It's uh, it is amazing. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you mentioned uh, you you being in uh, in Sepulpa this year. I mean, high school football in Oklahoma is just as big as college football, if not more so. Coach, I, I'm going to make it uh, this year uh, to my first backyard ball. I'm going to go to Jinx Union. I, I've been so tied to BA, I've never gotten to go. Uh, what can you, for, for folks that don't know, that never been like myself, how would you uh, assess like that rivalry in, in that game? I mean, that's – that's as yeah. big as any rivalry as any high school in the country. I mean, they even made yeah. a movie. The NFL Network did years ago. Yeah, the NFL movie. The NFL Network made a movie back in two thousand seven, I believe, on that rivalry. Okay, so um, unless you've been a part of it, it is really hard to wrap your your mind around. Um, well, I, I say that you know everybody in Oklahoma is also a college football fan, so right. If you're an OU fan, right, you've got that huge rivalry. Go to the Texas, you know, the State Fair, see the Texas game. So that's really what it is. It's um, the atmosphere is electric. Um, the kids can sense it. And so I was a part of so many of those games. And, and either as a fan, you know, when we moved back to Tulsa area from Philadelphia, New York area, uh, right, to coaching in it, um, that – everything and anything is possible and either team can win at any moment. It's absolutely uh, bonkers. Some of the, the endings that I witnessed, some of the endings that, um, that I was a part of um, you just, those two teams, you're, they're never out of the football game. They always have a chance. Um, and right, they're, they're two amazing high schools. You've got amazing kids. Um, Amazing facilities. I don't know, Tyler. You, if you're coming back to Oklahoma, you have to go by and see Union's new stadium. It it will absolutely blow your mind. Yeah, that's where the game's at this year. So yeah, it, 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 the stadium will absolutely blow your mind. It does not look like a high school stadium. It's as big and as nice as any of the monster stadiums down in Texas. Yeah, un unbelievable. Uh, you know they'll, they'll be playing that game at home, and then. You know, Bigsby uh, in Owasso uh, get to play at TU, and uh, with with Bigsby's run they're on right now, I mean, you know, historic proportions in the state of Oklahoma. Uh, you know, that setting for for Bigsby and Owasso at, at TU this year kind of bring back maybe the the old days of Jinx Union at TU. I, I guess what they're going for there. Yes, you know, um, Bigsby has done. You you said the word. You you mentioned it perfectly. Unprecedented. You know, Bixby has um, built the program up over there. And, you know, their their enrollment was a little bit behind what their program was able to do. You know, they they, they were ready to move up to 681 a couple of years ago. Um, they've got the program 
built from the ground up. They've got great kids, un, the best coaches. They've got uh, administrative support. They've got um, um, parent and community support. Um, and they've, they've rolled that thing into a giant ball. And, man, it's um, – the inertia – uh, is amazing, and they are going to go around, and they're going to they're going to win a lot of football games. Man, they're just as good as they're just as good as anybody. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be exciting to watch. So let's transition. Uh, talk some uh, college football now. Looking at the uh, the Big Twelve is where we want to start with uh, with Oklahoma. I know that you know Brent Venables. Uh, you saw what right. he did at Oklahoma right. over the years as DC, then on to Clemson, and you know. I heard all offseason, Coach, about this Oklahoma program of the rebuild process and what uh, we saw, you know, Brent Venables walking into and all this, how difficult it was going to be. And then, what do you know, here we come to the preseason. OU's back to top ten in every poll. Sure. And the odds on favor from Vegas to win the Big 12 again. Uh, right. Ex- seems like the expectations didn't change after all for OU with BV's first year. Yeah, you know, expectation levels, you know, new coaches come in and um, they say, we've got to change the culture, we've got to do this, we've got to do that. And, you know, the culture is, is set by the head man on the, you know, the, the head coach. Um, but the kids are the ones, the players, I say kids, as college, they're not kids. But they're the players are the ones that have to carry that torch um, and, and believe in it and, and take it to the practice field which will then obviously results in wins on, on Saturday afternoon for, for the college guys. Um, Oklahoma's a national power. They've been a national power, you know, since Chuck Fairbanks was there, and they will continue to be a, a national power. Now, um, the, the thing that everybody around here in the high school uh, arena is amazed about is what Brent Venables and his staff has done in the recruiting. Now, it's not going to show on the field this year because they're, they're just getting their first recruiting cycle in. But they they have signed – or they've gotten commitments, excuse me, from some of the best kids in the country, um, a lot on the defensive side, which was not the case under Coach Riley as far as, uh, you know, going out and getting the best kids in the country on the defensive side. But, you know, when you're Brent Venables and you have that, uh, that re- resume of – winning national championships, you know, place every place you've been, um, then, you know, those kids are going to want to come to Oklahoma, play for a great program and play for a great head coach. You know, it it amazes me, Coach. We we don't talk uh, often about first-year head coaches that haven't even officially coached a game yet and somehow putting together a top-ten recruiting class last year and on track for – maybe even a top five class this upcoming year. I mean, it's really remarkable what what Venables is doing on the recruiting trail for somebody that hasn't even coached a game. It is amazing. Guy has not coached a game and what they've done. But, you know, Brent Venables is the leader. He's setting the tone. But he went out, he hired an incredible staff. Um, you know, he got guys from Alabama. He got, you know, guy a couple of guys from Clemson. Got a guy from Arkansas. He was able to keep. Coach Beatonball, the offensive line coach. Um, so he's got guys, um, coaches that have recruited high level, know how to evaluate talent, right? And then know how to build a relationship. You know, recruiting now is not about – I mean, NIL helps. and now, But Oklahoma is going to be able to compete with NIL with anybody. 
but it's not about shiny things anymore for high school kids. Um, it's really about they want to know uh, who's going to take care of me, who's going to care for me, and who can potentially develop me into an NFL player. And, you know, Brent Venables has done that. Jay Belay, uh, the, the guy that they hired from Alabama to coach the secondary at Oklahoma, Bill Beatonball, they've all developed guys and sent them to the NFL. And these these five-star and top four-star players in the country, they want to know that they can be developed um, and be ready for the NFL. Uh, they lose Kel Gundy and that, that whole situation that, that unraveled, uh, you know, a week or two ago. And Kale had been there for such a long time and was a great recruiter. How big of a loss do you think it is for uh, Oklahoma to, to not have Kel Gundy around? Yeah, um, that that's a measurable that is going to be unknown for a little while, I believe. You know, we don't know what kind of relationships he was building up with recruits. Maybe not this class, but, you know, maybe the, the 24 and the 25 class. Um, so, you know, it's it's uh, it's a tough deal. He's a, He's been a fixture there. He ain't played there. He's coached there. Um you know, he was going to be the next Merv Johnson, you know, the guy that had coached for 30 years and then went in the, into the broadcast booth, you know, and did the radio games for him. Um, so I don't know how long, you know, I don't know if we'll ever know um, yeah. the effect, the true effect of losing Kale Gundy um, on the program. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's fair. It's a, it's a great point. Uh, you know, when, when you look at this team, we mentioned, uh, you know, how good they still look, even with all they lost. Uh, you know, Dylan Gabriel, uh, maybe this is a reach here, but it, it almost feels like, a, you know, a first-year coach finding, a, you know, a, a veteran quarterback similar to what Bob Stoops walked in finding Josh Heupel years ago. It, it feels very similar, doesn't it, right? Getting uh, Heupel, where was he from? Snow College, Snow Junior College or something? Yeah. Um, and it was, it was imperative. They had to get a veteran, uh, quarterback, you know, because changing systems, you know, you needed the guy that could come in, was mature enough to handle the rigors of college football and, you know, learn a new offense. You know, it's very difficult. It's very rare for a freshman to come in and be able to handle the 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. schedule of college football, you know, with the classes and everything else, learn a new system, and then go out there in front of 80,000 fans for for 12 weeks um, and be able to form perform up to what it takes to win, um, you know, win win the Big 12 and and try to get yourself in the uh, in the big tournament. Yeah, yeah, um, and. Uh... With that said, uh, looking at uh, you know staying in the in, in the league, uh, you know across the road in uh, in Stillwater, Oklahoma State a yard short of winning that Big Twelve championship uh, last year. Do you think Mike Gundy is going to be coming in motivate using that as motivation or uh, playing with a chip on your shoulder or is, or is last year in the past? How, how do you see the approach being for Oklahoma State after being so close last year? Yeah, you know Mike Mike Gundy's he's um, he's he does things a little different, and you have to applaud um, him. Um, he takes t- he's taking tiny little steps every year, um, and he's just continually to build that program up. You know, um, being one yard short that should be motivation. 
that should be something they, the chip they carry on the shoulder you know, all through spring ball, all through this summer workouts, right. And right into these preseason camps, um, you know, you got to be hungry when winning a championship at any level, winning a championship is very, very difficult. Um, I know Bixby and Jinx and, and Oklahoma has made it look easy, right? They've made it look easy at winning championships, but it's not easy. It's, it's very difficult. Um, winning is so, so hard. Um, it's so hard to, 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 to get that last yard. It's a, it's incredibly difficult. People on the outside of programs, um, don't realize, you know, the, the nine and a half months of work it is to try to get that to, to gain one more yard and, and get a bring on your finger. Um, so I imagine that coach Gundy and his staff have used that, um, for since middle of, or since the first week of January, all right. The last first week of December, right. When the big 12 championship game is, they've, they've probably carried that with them all the way through to uh, this first week of football games. Well, and you know, there before that game, it seemed like there was such positive momentum of beating Oklahoma and possibly the last game that uh, the two would ever play in Stillwater. And then right. they come up short like that, things just shifted. I, I think people almost forgot going into this year. I, I know that they're, you know, preseason top 12 according to the AP, but it still seems that they've been forgotten about. Everybody's talking about Baylor and Oklahoma. Sure. Oklahoma State team brings back a lot from last year. They, Oklahoma State is going to be a very good football team. You know, I, I think they're isn't their quarterback isn't Spencer Sanders the 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 preseason all conference quarterback. I mean, yeah, I mean he, a, he, he yeah. people forget he was the <laughs> offensive player of the year last year. That's a that's a great place to start as a head coach. I will take that every year. Give me the best quarterback in our conference to start every season, right? And, uh, and I'll take my chances. Yeah, uh, going to be fun to uh, to watch and. And uh, with that said, OU and OSU, uh, do, you, do you think this is the last time we, we see them play for a while? Is this OU's last year in the Big 12, or or is that still to be determined? What what do you think about that? I mean, if yeah. it is the last one, then, then this is going to be crucial to uh, bragging rights for a long time, I would think. Yeah, my gut and everybody's everybody around here thinks um, that this will be the last one, that Oklahoma and Texas will, will figure out a way to get the SEC – um, sooner rather than the deadline of of when they got it set, I think twenty twenty five, right? So, um, yeah, you know, I mean, I know OU's got the got the uh, the the big advantage in wins and losses in that rivalry, but the last one is going to be is going to be special. If this is the last one, this will be special, and whoever wins it, right, will carry that, right? They'll 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 be a shiny trophy that they'll carry. Uh, proudly for for a long long time and hopefully you know down the road they'll find a way to make um you know at least play the OU OSU game um every every so often you know get get one every two or three years on the on the calendar it needs to be played it's great for college football it's great for the state of Oklahoma you know uh when I look at this league after OU and o, after OU and Texas leave OSU sticking around Dave Aranda's doing a good thing at Baylor and how good these other four schools look coming in I mean three of them are in the preseason right. top 25 with uh you know Houston and BYU Cincinnati and UCF being the lone one left uh uh 
you know, with, with the Pac-12 losing U, USC and UCLA, I, I'm feeling pretty good about the uh, the Big 12's future, in particular for Oklahoma State with, uh, with, these, with these new practices of good teams. And we're still going to see good football in this conference, I think, and finally some stability. Yeah, it's gonna. It's a great conference. Um, I think they've done a great job. Now it's you know it, just like the Pac-12 and the and SEC, they're all getting spread out. You know, travel is going to be. We won't notice it much in football. It'll be great when, right when uh, Oklahoma State goes to BYU or goes to Houston or goes to UCF. But you know the, the travel is getting more spread out, and more spread out, and it won't be a factor in football. Um, but at the, the the smaller sports. Um, that will it'll be difficult. It'll make it tough. Um, but the money's now so big, I think I think it'll just roll on. Um, I'm excited to see. I love, you know, I've got some friends, you know, that played at University of Houston. You know, I know BYU. Um, they can compete with anybody. You know, they've got guys that are um, you know, they've got a big percentage of their roster that's older, right? Players go off on their on their um they're Mormon missions and come back and they're older and they're, you know, there's 25, 26 year old young men on, on BYU's roster. So they can go compete with anybody. Um, and I think, I hope the big 12 can hang on to Randa. Um, you know, uh, Texas tech just announced a, a, a gazillion dollar, whatever it was. 25 grand their, minimum. Yeah. Yeah. To all of their facilities. You know, they, they see an opportunity. Texas Tech sees an opportunity with Texas leaving and uh, Oklahoma leaving, you know, to put something on the campus that they can go build a, build some stuff to be uh, – put them in a chance to go compete for a Big 12 championship. Yeah. So, last question on the Big 12, then we'll move on and talk a little NFL with you before we go here. Um, we mentioned o- OU and OSU, high expectations, and then Baylor coming back as the reigning champs, and they're ranked pretty high. If you had to pick, who, who do you think ultimately wins the league this year? Yeah, wow. Um, you know, Kansas State's going to be better as well. Mm-hmm. Um, the buzz around Oklahoma is probably going to carry them a little bit, too. Uh, you know, I, I think it's going to come down to the, the Bedlam game this year. Um, I, I believe OU's probably – all the words all the words coming around is Oklahoma – looks amazing down in camp. Um, they're saying Dave, Dylan Gabriel looks great. He said it's the best – everybody's saying this is the best defense um, that Oklahoma's put on on the football field in a lot of years. Um, and as – you know, we know as potent as as the players on the offensive side of the ball are for Oklahoma, if they can just get a few stops defensively, they're going to be really, really tough to beat. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Uh, and then uh, Texas, uh, I was glad to see them not ranked, make them earn it, you know, and, and, and see. Uh, I think the, the Ewers kid's going to be good, but l- let's see this take time, you know, what it, what it does from that point. So, yeah, yeah, the Ewers, they're going to be good. It's Texas, you know, I mean, they can't, they can't be seven and five every year, right? right? They, re- they recruit too well. I'm sure uh, Quentin Ewers is going to be an amazing player, but. You know, we just talked about getting a get, getting a veteran quarterback. It's not easy to go play in front of eighty thousand people. You know, your first time. It's just not. Yeah. Um, uh, let's uh, let's talk a little NFL real quick. Uh, I, I know that uh, you followed Baker Mayfield what what he did at Oklahoma for a long time. Getting the second chance with the Carolina Panthers here, likely to be named the starter. 
What do you think about Baker's second chance uh, with a Carolina and getting out of Cleveland and, and that whole situation there? Man, uh, Cleveland is just Cleveland is just the Browns, right? They just can't get out of their own way. Um, and you know they took they took what they thought was the easy route out, right? Instead of developing Baker, you know, not understanding he had a hurt shoulder and coaching him. Hey, if they if he wasn't doing things that they wanted done exactly the way they wanted them to do, then whose fault is that, right? The coaches need to step up and get it the way they want it. Um, so they took the easy way out, you know, ship Baker off and try to sign the new shiny, uh, pretty shiny object, right? The guy that was, uh, you know, a ranked by all the experts as a top five quarterback. Um, and and we'll see what that does to their their. Does that help them or does that set them back? But we're, we're here to talk about Baker. Baker is going to go down there and be great. He's going to have learned, you know, some of his, you know, he's going to be, maybe be a little more humble on the outside. And then, but he's, but his internal fire, you know, I, I'll guarantee you this, that every offensive lineman that's ever played with Baker Mayfield loved him. Right. Um, and that carries you a long way in the locker room. If you can get those, you know, on the NFL roster, if you can get those eight offensive linemen to absolutely go love and and fight for the quarterback, you know, automatically your team gets elevated. Um, so, you know, I expect him to win that job, and I expect Carolina Panthers to kind of start going on a trajectory, uh, on an upward trajectory, and, you know, who knows where that will lead them. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you look at the NFC; they very well could be a wild card team potentially. Sure, one hundred percent. Yeah. Um, one thing I know that we've talked a lot about Patrick Mahomes uh, over time, and and what what he's done there with with Kansas City, and and I thought it was interesting, Coach, watching the uh, the preseason game against the Bears the other day. I keep I've heard for months on end that oh man, you know, this Chiefs offense is going to take quite a step back, losing Tyreek Hill and. What's Mahomes going to look like without his number one target? One drive, and he finds six different receivers open, and they score their right. first possession. Uh, they might have to do a little more short passing game, but I think Andy Reid and Patrick are, are going to be just fine. What say you? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the um, Patrick is going to be just fine. He's still Patrick Mahomes, man. He's still amazing. Uh, I heard I heard him talking about him on, uh, you know, one of the – the uh, network stations the other day and uh we all forget how young he is he's still young right you know i mean he's not even close to 30 years old yet he's he's still getting better he's not peaked you know he's not the best version of patrick mahomes that we're going to see um you know he's going to get better mentally and he's going to get better uh, understanding everything else that goes on with the game. And then we already know, we've seen the amazing God-given ability that he has, you know, the the arm accuracy and the velocity and the things he can do with his feet. Um, and so he's just going to get better. We, we, we all just need to sit back, right, as the old um, meme says, and get our popcorn and just be thankful that we're alive to watch Patrick Mahomes play football. Right. Oh, yeah. I mean – if anything, forcing him to go to more of the short passing game might even make him more efficient. You know, it might. It, it might. It might instead, of, instead of having a crutch, just being able to throw it deep to, I say crutch, 
you know, having an automatic outlet, right, to throwing it to um, the, the fast guy. Now he's, you know, uh, this might be a great step in his evolution as, you know, the, um, a great quarterback. You know, go win a championship with some new guys, right? Go win another championship and, uh, and just build on your own legacy because, you know, the young man is uh, – it's, it's such a pleasure to get to watch him play. Coach, uh, we're out of time. It's been a pleasure talking to you as always, and uh, best of luck to uh, your team out in Sepulpa this year. I'll be rooting you on, and we'll be uh, talking again down the line. Appreciate you joining us. All right. Thanks, Tyler. Appreciate you, man. Time for Coach Bo's Football Fix, presented by O'Connor Advisory Group. You can find O'Connor Advisory Group online, oagks.com, o'connoradvisorygroup.com. You can also reach out to Bo by phone. At 785-856-0720. That's 856-0720 to schedule an appointment today. You can also reach out to Bo by email, brian.oconnor at lpl.com. That's Brian with a Y dot O'Connor at lpl.com. And Coach Bo joins us right now. He's also the host of the Coach Bo Knows podcast out each and every Monday and Friday. And Bo is back. Bo, uh, you were off on Monday, a little under the weather, but uh glad to have you back. How are you feeling? I'm doing feeling a little better. Yeah, I, I was sick for a couple of days and so we missed the Monday pod, but uh, I we're going to get back at it. We'll have a full pod on, on Friday. It'll be fun. And, uh, yeah, finally took me a couple of days. It's just kind of a, a bug. I don't know. Nothing major. No COVID. Just a bug. And now I'm better. And uh, what's going on at OAG? Uh, here is uh, school getting started. Uh, I imagine uh, some uh, some planning going on there uh, this yeah. time we're doing a lot of college planning for so if you got kids in school and you're thinking about oh shit I gotta save a plan together please send a stupid kid to college like my kid um <laughs> give us a call we'll be happy to set something up with you and then also a big thing we're doing right now is we're, we're taking an opportunity on life insurance if you have life insurance and you want to get to take a look at it you don't know what you got or you just say hey I, I need some help we'd love to take a look at it for you we got 75 different carriers we can work with any kind of insurance to kind of reach your goal, whether it's cash value stuff, variable life, whole life, we can do it all, even up to your, you know, $10 million term policy. We can do it all. So uh, we, well, we'd love to work with you on that. Be your partner. What yes. about what about taking out life insurance policies on other people? <laughs> you got to have insurable interests. That's the way the state <laughs> works. As long as you got insurable interest, you can do it. And I can show you how to do that. So if I want to take the policy out on Tom and then he's an idiot and steps out in front of traffic, then I'm set, right? Well, you got to figure out, yeah, Tom's about to sign off on it, you know, before you get it. And, but from the insurable interest as co-host of the podcast, you got a financial stake together in that. So right. I can get away with that one. Okay. We'll just take the policy on each other, Jones. That way, if either of us fucks up, we'll be rich. And then like one night when you and I have had a few too many and, we decide that we want to go play in traffic, then we can see who gets the life insurance money. Yeah. There you go. Like a, my, like a my no life the, game of Frogger. My <laughs> money is the Tom win. Cause he's already got, he's kind of got like some, it's already built up, you know, the tolerance there. I mean, we've seen Tom have some mistakes. I think Tom would be the one that would survive. He won't well, be in good shape. Already, he'll survive. I've already, already hit my head in Mexico and that That's didn't right. kill me. So That's what I was referring to. Yes. No. Well, whether it's playing uh, Frogger or uh, life insurance, we want to be your partner either way. OHGCast.com, <laughs> counteradvisor.com. How about that for a transition there? There you go. <laughs>
Bo, uh, the football fix this week. Let's start out in the National Football League. And uh, the first week of preseason games officially in the books, week two on the horizon. What uh, what stood out to you? I know that preseason games aren't the most exciting by any means, but good to at least see live football action uh, somewhat here the last few days. You know, preseason football, especially now with only the three games, and you're not going to have anybody worth a damn. Let me rephrase that. We're worth a damn. They're just – your starters aren't out there. There's really not a lot to it. Um, these are just guys who are trying to get things on tape and guys fighting for jobs. I did watch a couple of games kind of fleeting on NFL Network, and you know, I just watched to see who's out there, who's making an impression with their play. Um, you know, and I didn't see anybody that jumped off the page at me. Um, guys just kind of playing for those last four or five spots on the roster – you know, getting taped down so the other teams could see them when they make cuts. You know, you have a few teams that have, you know, um, competitions at, at uh, certain positions. So you see some stuff there. You know, we're, we're going to talk about the Panthers in a minute. You know, that, that kind of stuff. But, you know, really these first couple of games aren't going to have much to them. I think game three you'll see starters for maybe a quarter, maybe a half with a few, a few of them. And that'll be the only thing you're really going to see in, in post in the preseason. Yeah, these are just cash cows for the owners, basically. Right. Yeah, they, they charge full price for tickets, like they would yeah. for the regular season mm-hmm. too. So it's uh it's ridiculous, but it is what it is. Nonetheless, uh, let's talk about a uh, a few things going on in the league. First <laughs> off, uh, new deal for Derwin James, the uh, Chargers sign, and it has been an eventful offseason for. The Chargers, they already brought in Khalil Mack. This team uh, looks really good on paper. Uh, I like what Brandon Staley's got there. And, you know, even even though I, I love my Kansas City Chiefs, uh, I think the Chargers are the better team right now. I have the Chargers winning the AFC West. And, Bo, uh, the Chargers have done, it seems like since Brandon Staley showed up, They've been really headed in the right direction. They've made some really good moves. They have their franchise quarterback, and now they're putting the pieces around him on both sides of the ball. Yeah, the the Chargers are the team I think has done the best at moving the franchise forward and really upgrading some things. They're a young team. It helps you have that rookie contract on the quarterback. When you have that, you can spend money in other positions. This is an example of that, you know, when you're – Looking at four-year contract for Derwin James, definitely worth it. He's the highest. He's the highest paid safety in the league now. He has dealt um, with some injury issues. So. Yeah, but he's I, he's a very very good player. Um, I think one of the best two or three safeties in the league. Um, you know, it's one of the things where I think in his case it was a, a good value for the Chargers. The Chargers have spent money wisely, and that's important. And it's. The thing of having the rookie quarterback, the rookie contract of a quarterback, you can spend a lot of money on some players, but but then you're going to have to pay the piper when it comes to, um, in their case, um, uh, what am I trying to say? Chargers quarterback, Dustin Herbert. They're going to have to pay Herbert at some point. But when they do that, it'll be another couple of years away. And when they do that, then they'll have a higher salary cap and there'll be some more room in there, and there'll be some defensive players that won't get paid in. Right. Yeah. You know, as you guys mentioned the Chargers, I come across a Field Yates tweet 
Um, and when you look at it this way, it, it, it does sound pretty impressive or look at that way. He says, not a bad run of first-round picks for the Chargers between 2016 and 2021. Includes Justin Herbert, Joey Bosa, Derwin James, Rashawn Slater, and Mike Williams. I mean, that's not too bad there. Yeah, when you can hit four or five times in a row in the first round, that's huge. And so many teams just don't because they have to draft for position. And the Chargers haven't had to do that. They've gone best player. I guess they did draft position with Herbert, but, I mean, Herbert has been great. And you're, I think you're spot on, Tom, that, yeah, if you can go your first four, if, you're, if your last four or five first-round picks all hit, or if you go three years back and your first and second-round picks hit, man, you're going to be in a really good place. That or, you know, you can go the Rams route and say F them picks and, and go that route, but two different sides of the football in, in L.A. right now. And, uh, you know, I, I want to know you guys' opinion, not try to hijack anything here. Um, but go ahead. Justin Herbert, I'm going to be the first one to say, when he got drafted, I called bullshit on him, and I did not think he was going to be as good. Oh, that's my bad take. I said he, I thought he was going to be trash, and he's, he's, he's proven me wrong. I don't know what you guys thought about him. I did not think I, he was this good. My only question with Herbert in the beginning was I didn't know what he was going into coaching-wise there. And then they had the whole thing of the team and moving from San Diego to L.A., there was some issues with ownership. The talent has always been there. Um, he's in the same draft with Burrow. And as we all know, I'm a Burrow guy. But, I mean, it ain't like – I mean, if you're, that's your second choice to Burrow. That's not bad. I mean, he's going to be a quality quarterback for a long time. And I thought he was going to be a good quarterback. My only question was what's the organization going to be? And they've done a really good job in that organization of putting some pieces around him and then giving him the opportunity to use those talents in a positive way. For me, well, when I look at with, with Justin Herbert, you know, when, when he was coming out, I had questions about his accuracy, less than 60% for his college career. And the same could be said for Josh Allen. But it amazes me, both both those guys overcame that in the NFL. Their completion percentage, both of them is much higher than – what yeah. it was in college when they were below 60% guys, you get them to the NFL level around NFL coaches and put talent around them. The arm strength was there, the athleticism, and then they put it together uh, when it came to being accurate, accurate quarterbacks in the NFL. And, and, and that's what surprised me was that they, the project of both of them got better as they went along in the NFL process. It wasn't that their numbers – were great and they came down, they were okay and really started coming to their own in the NFL. Yeah, I think when you compare, I think it's a fair comparison of Herbert and Allen. I think in Allen's case, he was at Wyoming and he was someone that had just had every physical tool, but he didn't have a lot of pieces around him. And I don't even think he had really great coaching. And then with Herbert, at Oregon, they run such a unique offense that a lot of their passing is trying to hit the deep ball and then so much of the run game and the read option, which works like short pass games, that they take more chances down the field than most teams because they do rely on that read option 
for so many of your, you know, second six, you know, third and five, where you're going to throw the ball in an accurate way. So the completion percentage thing was not a question for me on Herbert. And the accuracy thing, I mean, I saw the arm, you know, in, in, in Oregon. And I tell you when I realized his arm was good enough and accurate enough was watching hard knocks that year. And some mm-hmm. of the, the drills they had him doing, you're like, whoa, those are throws that are not easy to make. Those are throws that that Brady can't make. Those are throws that, I mean, even strong arm guys like Allen and Mahomes really can't make accurately. I think Herbert's more accurate than both those guys. Yeah. I think that they're both stronger arm. And in Mahomes' case, and Herbert, I mean, Allen's just like Mahomes, but in Mahomes' case, his feet make a lot of plays as well. Allen's do too, but not to the point that Mahomes has had so far. Uh, but Herbert's a different quarterback. He's just going to sit back there with a big-ass arm. He reminds me a lot of Terry Bradshaw. Uh, big-ass arm, and I think that the accuracy issues are, if you look, they're going to be down the field. He's going to throw interceptions. They're going to be like punts. Right. And so I don't. that doesn't bother me in Justin Herbert's case. And yeah, if you're on a third and long on your own 40 and you yeah, you know, you're third and four, or you're at the 35 yard line and you throw a 50 yard bomb and it's intercepted. Oh well. You know, and yeah, at that point, you know, even if you have 20% chance of making the catch, yeah. Well, it's either it's you know, it's kind of a risk you take, but at the same time, at the end of the day, well, if it's intercepted and they don't make a huge return, well, yeah, I don't know who the Chargers punter is, but yeah, well, that's and that's just like a couple of years ago. Jameis Winston had the thirty interception season, thirty touchdowns, thirty interceptions. And if right. you look at his thirty interceptions, a bunch of them were forty yards and more down the field. Right. And, yeah, and to me, that's a punt. I saw the same thing with Stafford this year earlier. Earlier on, he's been that same kind of guy too. Yeah, that's it's where that whole thing doesn't arm. bother me about the touchdown to interception ratio. I think that the intercept number of interceptions. I mean, I don't want to turn the ball over, but if an interception's 40 yards down the field on third and 15 or third and nine, I'm not going to be mad about that. Sure. Yeah, if they intercept it at the 10-yard line and get tackled at 13. Yeah. I mean, that's – I mean, it's a punt. Where I'm get pissed is I want to know about your red zone turnovers. I want to know once you're really inside the 30. If right. you're turning the ball once we're inside the 30 and we're trying to score, then I got some problems. Well, you're not going to see that with Justin Herbert, and that's because his he's got a big arm and he's accurate. I, I really yeah. like the guy. I you know, and I've said over and over, I'm a Burrow guy. Herbert's got better physical tools than Burrow. The Chargers yeah. are an interesting case. I mean, you yeah. got Austin Eckler, who's yeah. you know I think was a little bit injured last year. Good, I feel like a good pass catching back. And you got obviously Mike Williams. I mean, the Chargers could be. I'm trying to think. Chargers didn't make the playoffs last year, did they? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. No, no, no. no. They lost. No, no. They, the, they, they came a field goal away. The uh, yeah. the Raiders got that field goal in the week yeah. 18 win. That's yeah. right. I, I knew they barely missed it, and I thought they kind of just had barely missed it. Yeah. I kind of like the Raiders – or not the Raiders. I mean, the Raiders are cool too, but – I kind of like the Chargers to maybe have one of those seasons, kind of like the Bengals did, right team, right time. Yeah, I you think don't the Chargers. Know. 
I agree with you, Tom. I think the Chargers are a Super Bowl contender. I mean, I'd put I, I'd put fifty down that they at least. I mean, I don't think this is this is a huge bet at all, but. I'll put fifty dollars down to anybody who says the Chargers miss the playoffs because they're either getting in as a wild card, you know, it's it's either going to be Chiefs Chargers at the top of that division, but I mean that's going to be the most interesting division to watch. Yeah, I think that all four of those teams can make the playoffs, and if I had to pick one to win the division right now, I would pick the Chargers. And yeah. I tell you, I I like all four of those teams. The team I like the least is the Raiders. That's just I don't like Derek Carr. Yeah, and I think they still have a good chance. To they make have some- a good team. I don't like the quarterback, but I mean, I and we'll see what a rookie coach does. I mean, I, I think I think Russell Wilson's a bit overrated too. I, I would say that he's closer to Derek Carr than he is Justin Herbert. I think physical tools wise, you're right, but what just but what Russell Wilson doesn't do is make a lot of mistakes, right? He I'm, does I'm not really good to see the Jerry Judy Russell Wilson connection. Yeah, I think is Tyler Lockett. I think it's going to be. I I think Russell Wilson's going to be fine in Denver, and I think that team's going to be really good. I think the hardest part of the Broncos thing is that's just a tough division, right? When you got to play two against the Chiefs, two against the Chargers, you're going to have to go play two against the Raiders. Hey, look, the team that comes out of that division is going to be battle tested. We know that, right? If anyone wins 14 games, you know, 13 or more in that division, that's going to be a really good team. Even if they're the three seed, I wouldn't bet against them. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So, so I mean, I, but if I, I think, I think every team in the division got better in this offseason except for the Chiefs. Yes. Now, you bring up the Chiefs. I was watching their preseason game, and granted, it was just one series. And it was against the Bears, who were not very good either. But I did see Patrick Mahomes master short yardage, getting to his receivers, quick routes, Travis Kelsey, Valdez Scanling, Hardman, uh, Blake Bell got involved. I mean, it it looked like, okay, the the Chiefs have a, a game plan in mind. Sure, they might not be able to get the ball down the field as much without Tyreek Hill. But this version of Patrick Mahomes, is there a chance he could be more efficient playing this way? Could we see Mahomes making less mistakes and and be even a, potentially a better quarterback without Tyreek Hill? Is that possible? He's going to have to be. He, he is going to have to be. Um, he's going to have to make less mistakes. He's going to have to not depend on his feet as much. The, the Tyreek Hill thing – I'm not going to say this right where some, someone's going to give me for this, but I'm going to say it. I think he's overrated. I do too. The guy, the guy is not a great route runner, but he's a insanely fast guy. Now, what you got is you can get him open where he just beats everybody down the field. And you really only see that, what, four times, three, four times a season where you get to a 50-plus yard touchdown. It's just a route, which is great, but you only see that a few times a year. What Tyreek Hill did well was that he was schemed well to get him in the right route to a spot to where the defense wasn't going to be there, and then he used his speed to outrun the last guy. Right. You saw more that. You know, you see see Tyreek Hill hit a slant. If he's open and you get him the ball, 
He's tough to catch in space. But that scheme, that's not a knock on Tyreek. That's the same thing with Devontae Adams or anybody else. Tyreek has better than everybody's speed, though. Yeah. What you're going to see now is they're going to put three and four quality hands on the field at the same time, and you've got to cover all of them. Right. And so that's going to be more difficult. So now Mahomes is going to have to figure out which one he's going to. I think the important thing I want to see with Mahomes here, I want to see how good he reads defense. Right. He's never really had to. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying he can't because I just don't know. But a lot of it was scheme, and then a lot of it was kind of the backyard stuff that I've criticized the Chiefs for for the last two seasons of the backyard bullshit stuff where he gets to a spot because he's athletic as hell, and then him and Kelsey know each other. Right. He knows what Kelsey's going to be, and he gets there and he gets the ball to him. You can't do that as much when you have a, a MVS, you know, a Marquez Brothers Scanlane, a couple of those guys on the field. You're going to have to run your route. It's going right. to be a lot less draw in the dirt kind of stuff. So I, 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 I do think Juju Schuster Smith have, is going to have a good season. Yeah. I think they're all going to have good seasons, but I don't think any of them are going to have Tyreek Hill's numbers. No, and again, that's I think, not a knock on Tyreek. It's not a knock on any of those players. It's just that everything's going to get divided more. I do think teams are going to overestimate doubling Travis Kelsey because you are going to leave stuff open. And I think teams are going to – that's going to be their first instinct, and they will get regret it later. Yeah, but I think you're going to see that no matter what. I mean, they're going to – that scheme as well. And then it's, you know, two-way stuff, you know, knowing that, okay, you've got a man over and you've got, you know, a linebacker with him. Okay, well, let's see, you know, if Mahomes gives him a look, you know, or check with me based on where a safety is at the line of scrimmage and what they know on where a safety's going based upon where he lines up. They're going to move him around a little bit. You know, when you see players move, even just you put like a Kelsey and you put him in motion and you say, okay, well, yeah, he only shifted eight feet. Right. It's not because of the matchup underneath. It's because you're influencing the safety over the top. So you can get him to go in or out. Right. And so, and that's what the Chiefs done really well with Mahomes and, and Kelsey, stuff like that. The thing is that over time, all these coaches have been looking at the same game films for a couple of years now, and they're getting the ideas. And so now you're going to see teams that are going to say, okay, we've scouted ourselves. We've scouted what they do. How do we trick them in a way to here's what we're actually doing? Right. It's going to be a little more of a chess game. Without Tyreek, you have a little less of the draw in the dirt stuff. It's going to make Mahomes – it's either going to make Mahomes a, a lot better or it's going to make him regress. Right. I think it's going to make him better in the long run. He may not have huge Patrick Mahomes numbers this season, but he's still going to be Patrick Mahomes, and he's going to be better in the two, three, five, ten years because of it. Right. Mahomes yeah. is to get away from being Brett Favre and become more Aaron Rodgers. Yes. Yes, I agree. And, and on the flip side, with Miami adding Tyreek Hill – I think Tyreek Hill is going to have 
a down year that he's going to have a reality check going from Mahomes to Tua. But at the same time, I mean, he's still a very talented player. I mean, we're going to find out whether Tua's the guy or not. I mean, this is yeah. this is still make or break for Tua. And if they're not seeing the results by, I mean, the halfway point of the year, you better believe they're going to give Teddy Bridgewater a shot to try to save their season and still make the playoffs. Yes, they will. And at the same time, and with respect to Tyreek, Tyreek's the one who's safe there. Yes. If if what if Tua is not good, it's bad on Tua, and Tua's the one who's out. Right. If Tyreek is not good, it's going to get blamed on Tua. And you've pay, you're paying Tyreek this much money, he's the guy. So mm-hmm. my thinking is that you're going to have to do what you have to do here. I mean, it is making or break it for Tua. They put all the pieces you can around him right now. I mean, that's – Taylor Waddle, as much as people talk about all these great receivers last year, Waddle was somehow forgotten about was incredible as a rookie. Yeah, yeah, and, and they've got a running back now. I mean, this team's – the Dolphins are talented on offense. And if Tua's not good, then if, – if they're not good a team, it's going to be good at Tua. If yeah. they're good and he plays well – I mean, Tua can be – if Tua's good, they're going to be very good. Yeah. I don't think Tyreek's ever going to have numbers again like he did in Kansas City. I don't think he cares. I mean, look, in the end it came he down got his to – ring. He wanted to get He paid. wanted his money. And I don't – and I respect that. I respect it because we all want to get paid. And sometimes you've got to go – In his case, it's life-changing money. And he was never going to get that in. I mean, I look at it that way, and and I don't see that as a negative toward toward Tyreek. Well, I mean, Tyreek Hill to me is, and you, I agree with you, you both on the Tyreek Hill a little bit overrated. I mean, his his season that they won the Super Bowl was pretty incredible, but after that, it's you know kind of fallen off. And and to me, he is the Russell Westbrook of the NFL. That's how I feel about Tyreek. Ooh, wow. Okay. I look at it as if you're the Chiefs, you had to make a decision. You were either going to keep Tyreek Hill or you were going to keep Travis Kelsey. You can't have both. Well, then that's an interesting point, too. And, Jones, you can get in on this, too, uh, because we haven't really mentioned it yet, but it is coming up, the fantasy aspect of the Kansas City Chiefs in general. You know, Mahomes used to be the number one quarterback off the board. Travis Kelsey routinely is the number one tight end off the board. And then Tyree Kill, for the longest time, was a top four receiver off the board. Now that aspect changes in terms of fantasy, in terms of touching the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, I've seen Clyde Allaire's stock drop a little bit in terms of him getting injured last season. But it's interesting, where do you draft Travis Kelsey now that he is essentially the main – target getter or the main playmaker on that offense. Yeah, he's um, the number with, one with guy. As much double teams as he would face, I mean, I, I would take Kittle or Mark Andrews over him, maybe even Darren Waller. Um, but I still think he's going to have a massive year. I, yeah. I think he's going to have a massive year. I still think he's the best tight end in the league. I, I think Kittle's as good a player. But I would rather have Kelsey because of who's throwing the ball to him. 
And I think that you're going to see, yeah, he's going to get a lot of double teams, but he always gets a lot of double teams. They've been doing it for years. Right. And when you put more weapons on the field, there's actually going to be less of that. What we're going to see is a lot of two deep safety stuff with the man underneath. And you're going to see teams stack up three men at the line of scrimmage and run a, you know, and run a five DBs at them a lot. I mean, they're going to be a nickel. Teams are going to go nickel against the Chiefs constantly. Yeah. No one's throwing three linebackers in the field against the Chiefs. Let's uh, let's talk about the Panthers, and then we'll uh, transition over to the college football side. Um, the uh, Panthers, it looks like Baker Mayfield's on track to be named their starter, as we expected. Played fairly well in that first preseason game, and now questions are out. What do they do with Sam Darnold? Um, you also have P.J. Walker on that roster, who's a decent backup. You also have Matt Corral, who you drafted uh, from Ole Miss this past year. Um, what do you think, Bo? What, what does Matt Rule and the Panthers do about this quarterback conundrum they're in right now? He's got to choose one. He has to choose one now. He's got to get his quarterback in early. And it's important because Matt Rule's seat is about as warm as you can get. So – if he's going Baker, which is what I assume it's going to be, is Baker. He's got to get him in, put everything he can behind him, and it's win or lose. Baker's your guy. I I don't know if that's the way I'd go. I'm, I'm not there. I don't know. I would probably lean toward Baker over Darnold, but I don't know off the top of my head without seeing it, you know, in person. But either way, this can't be a – uh, going into week one, we're not sure, and we're going to make the decision after the third preseason game. They got to name the starter now. This isn't college football where you play no. two quarterbacks and figure it out during the season. If you have two quarterbacks in the NFL, you have zero quarterbacks, and and you you go with the one you think's the best to help you to help you win. If you had a if Panthers new as a coaching staff. They were secure for a couple more years. They would never even would have traded for Baker. This is the life raft, the coaching staff that Matt Rule needed because he's on the hot seat. He's got to make it work with Baker Mayfield. And if he doesn't, he's going to get fired. Yeah. If you're a normal coach and you got three or four more years and you know, hey, we're really starting over and we're figuring things out, and you can say, hey, Baker's our guy this year, but we're really looking toward developing Darnold. What, what I would guess Darnold's is, development doesn't matter now. What I would guess the, the outcome of this, Bo, is they spent too high of a pick on Corral to cut him or even put him on the practice squad. He has to be on the 53-man. Um, and Baker, we believe, is going to be the starter. I think they try to trade – off Sam Darnold somewhere and probably paid most of his salary, just trade him off someone to take him off their hands. And PJ Walker probably just gets released. Yeah, I think so. What round did Darnold go in? Darnold was a was a number one. I'm player. sorry, Darnold. I mean Corral. I'm sorry, Corral. What round was Corral? Corral was a was he a third or fourth round pick? Okay. Yeah, I mean you draft some quarterback in the third round, you're gonna keep on your roster. But it this coaching staff cannot put Matt Carell's development ahead of Baker Mayfield winning. Right. If they win 10 games and they make the playoffs, then yes, that can be because they'll buy themselves another year and they can go in and say, hey, here's what we did and here's where we're moving. Go forward with this. Tell you what, the Panthers win 10 games, I'll buy life insurance from you. 
<laughs> you should do that. I don't think anyway, I I have, and it's just because of work. I just provided for free. It's the only reason I haven't contacted you yet. But I still might take one out on Tyler Jones. It's not a bad idea. Uh, college football, the uh, AP Top 25 is out. Uh, no shock, Alabama, number one. Um, Notre Dame, I saw a great rant. Feinbaum talked about how overrated they are. I have no business being the top ten. I do respect that the media did not put Texas in the top 25. Meanwhile, the coaches had them in the top 20, and they, they got a first-place vote from somebody there. Uh, yeah, I wonder know who gave them the first-place vote. I have been been told the rumor is that it's Jake Spavitol from Texas State, um, who is from Tulsa, Oklahoma, and his dad was actually the head coach at my high school, Broken Arrow High School. Uh, that's the rumor I've heard, but nothing confirmed. Um, with that said, uh, Bo, looking ahead to this season, uh, Alabama, as as good as they've been over the years, Will Anderson is so dynamic on defense. Bryce Young was just developing last year. Um, if I gave you Alabama or the field, who would you take? I would take Alabama. Yeah. Alabama stacked. Here's what I think. I think this is Nick Saban. He has said he he has said in some places he thinks this is his best team. I think this is Nick Saban's last year at Alabama. I think that Nick Saban wants no piece of NIL. He is 70 years old, 71 years old. I don't think he wants to continue working in, in a college football era of NIL. And I think that I think this is going to be him going out, guns blazing, with the best team he can put together right now. He's going to try to win it all, and if he's going to walk off in the sunset at the end. Um, Bo, in in the case of Will Anderson, he's got a lot a lot of hype. A lot of people are talking about Will Anderson the last couple of months throughout the offseason. And some are saying that no matter what, he should be the number one pick. Bo, I, I'm – I'm starting to lean towards there myself. I mean, if you're a team that has a quarterback need, I'd be willing to, whether it's trade back in the first round or wait till next year, whatever. I mean, depending on where you are, I would, it would have to be some type of miraculous year for Bryce Young or CJ Stroud for me to take one of those two over Will Anderson, how good he gets. I, I don't believe in trying to do that right now. I mean, a player, I don't believe in you wait. If you got a player you think can be your quarterback now, go get him. I I, I think Will Anderson's too good to pass off. I, I look, I'll bring you I'll bring up an example of a man named Jake Locker a few years ago, who everyone said at Washington was gonna be the number one pick when it was his turn. And he had the, the shittiest senior year and went from being a consensus number one overall to however far he ended up dropping, which was way back, is the same thing where you've had like a guy like Joe Burrow, who in 2018 was thought to be a sixth-round guy. And but that's different. I'm talking about posi- You're talking about quarterbacks. I'm talking about a positional talent. Yeah, but I, I, it's the same thing. It's it, it, There is nobody that is, is, is meant to be the number one overall guy. Jadavion Clowney is a guy that people thought, well, this is the number one guy. And he was kind of anointed that 
and he hasn't been that guy in the NFL. I just, I don't think you wait. You go get what you can get at your spot. You take the best available player. There's no sense in waiting a year for anybody. That's what I'm saying. If if Will Anderson, I, which I believe, if he ends up being the best available player, you cannot pass on him. I think. Yeah, I mean, I see that too. I just, I, I that's I, what I'm saying. Okay, I thought you were saying you're going to wait a year to get this guy. No, no, um, no. I said I would no. wait a year to get a quarterback. If I okay, I misunderstood what you were saying there. I, I misunderstood what you were saying. I thought you were saying you wait. You don't. You pass on players to get this guy. No, no, no. I, I said I that Will, Will Anderson is player. Yeah. I don't think you take the – I do think that quarterbacks are kind of the exception in that you do draft a quarterback higher if you project that player to be a franchise guy because they're too important. Even – I mean, let's see. Guys like the Bosa brothers who have both been – top five picks you know Aiden Hutchinson this past year you know top two pick would you have taken those kind of guys over quarterbacks maybe the quarterback wasn't as good but would you would you take any of those guys over Justin Herbert not now no yeah I mean that's the thing you have to the quarterback if it to me it looks like it's going to be the two quarterbacks one and two there's a lot of time though between now and April See, so I don't like getting into the whole thing of trying to project a draft in August when the draft doesn't happen until April. Yeah, I, I think Will Anderson – I think that's kind of a it, – It's to me it's just talking for the sake of talking and arguing for the sake of arguing. I just yeah, – what happens if one of those players, you know, steps wrong and breaks an ankle? If what the draft were held today, I think Will Anderson is picked number one by almost any team that has that number one pick. I, I think the quarterback at Battle gets drafted number one. You think Bryce Young gets number Bryce one? Bryce Young, yeah. Yeah, and I think Stroud either goes two or three. Yeah, I, I if I had to choose one of those two quarterbacks as my franchise guy from what I've seen so far, I think I would take Stroud, honestly. I like and Stroud I, better too. But I but I I want to see what I see one more season. You know, I'm not I wouldn't make that decision to stick with it in April because I don't know. And the argument you can always make with with well, they're both going to have great players all around. So it's hard to say. Well, this player play with better players than this player. They're both going to be top five guys. So I don't know. I I don't think it's something I really want to argue about. To say, well, this player I would take over these two players. Right now, I'd take one of the two quarterbacks. Especially yeah. if I need because if you're drafting first overall, you probably need a quarterback. Yeah. Um... I see where you're going at, but I, I, I think Anderson right now is far yeah. and away more valuable than those quarterbacks. You can project some well, of I mean, Think about it. Who's, who's going to be the first overall pick? I'm going to say if I had to put my balls Atlanta. in the mouth. No, I'd probably go ahead and say Tyler's second favorite team in Seattle Seahawks are going to be the first round or the first pick. They're both bad. It's going to be one of those two more than likely. And they both need quarterbacks. Yeah, I, I think it's – in Seattle's well, case, yeah. you know, I mean, you have two first-round picks. Use the first on Will Anderson. Second pick, uh, that Denver pick, I'd go get a quarterback then. Correct. Yeah. Three on the board, yeah. Well, Denver, yeah. Probably pick, Denver probably picks about 14, 15. Yeah. And then you get maybe like a Will Levis or something. So, yeah. I just wouldn't project players out like that yet. I, I don't like that whole thing. 
That's fair. It's just not a. That's the same. The same argument can be made about prospects. I mean, we're talking about people who are going through it right now, and you know, who are high school players who are being projected to be this or that. You know, we don't know. So they get there and they play, and they what we're going to see in six months or one year or two years is going to be completely different than who they are today. <laughs> All right, Bo's going to stick around with Tom and I for our draft season segment this week, one of our final draft season segments of the year as we do this in the summertime before football season officially comes back with regular season football. And last week we drafted our own super conferences. That was a lot of fun. We've had a lot of good drafts throughout the year from gas station menu items to – TV shows you used to watch, and this week we are drafting our favorite conspiracy theories. And I will say, and I'm going to end it to Tom here in just a second to give the official disclaimer, Uh, let's be very clear. We are not saying that we believe in these. We are not pushing these conspiracy theories. These are just ones that we find the most interesting, most entertaining. Tom, uh, you go ahead. What's our official disclaimer here to avoid any legal action our way? Yeah, so in no way do we believe any of these. And if I pick one and I actually have some what I think is substantiated evidence in terms of that it could be potential for being correct or accurate or even being believable, and that goes, I guess, for Bo and Tyler, too. Then we will address that by each one of them. But by default, this is no way in terms, and you can contact my legal department. Uh, good luck finding that. But um, we don't believe any of these. And I sure as hell don't believe maybe a lot more than Bo and Tyler. So- Thoughts expressed in this program are not those of Studio Soapbox and studio soapboxes entities, <laughs> as well as my, my retweets, Jones, Thomas Bridges, and Brian O'Connor. <laughs> my, my retweets do not reflect my my employer's beliefs. Yes, yes. Okay, uh, so snake drafts, six picks, like we've done for the most part uh, throughout these drafts. Uh, Tom will have the first pick, I'll go second, Bo will go third, and then we'll go reverse order after that. So, Tom... Uh, without further ado, you're on the clock with the first pick of the conspiracy theory draft. So one of my, I, I wouldn't call it favorites. Like I said, disclaimer beforehand, I don't necessarily believe this. Um, but I will go with, for the first pick of overall, I will go with the, the conspiracy theory about, what is it going to be this year? It's upcoming. It's going to be, what, 20... 21 years in the making, and I will go with 9-11 was an inside job. Whoa. Jet fuel does not melt steel beams. <laughs> Again, I'd like to express that O'Connor Advisory Group does not have anything to do with these conspiracy theories. Anyone that I may mention, I may say, yeah, I kind of believe that, but nothing like that. Uh, that that one I was going to stay away from altogether. Right? Uh, it is not on my list. I'm the one that subcontracted through the government here, okay? <laughs> 
Would you care to elaborate on that, or you want to just leave that there, Tom? I don't believe that there. I'm just saying. I mean, it's a pretty popular one. Okay. I can see Tyler liking that one. <laughs> Ooh. My, uh, my pick here, um, this one, I kind of believe there's some YouTube videos out there that show some evidence of this possibly being true. Um Stevie Wonder, not actually blind. Um, there's videos out there of him catching microphones that are falling. Um, he's also been known to be a good free throw shooter. Um, and, and it's one of those things where it's kind of insensitive, where we wouldn't be able to just be like, ha, you're not really blind. I mean, like, you're not going to go through that. I mean, I guess I just did. Uh, but yes, uh, Stevie Wonder, not really blind, is uh, my uh, first pick there. Uh, what do you think about that one, though? You can call it very superstitious. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Stevie Wonder is like Pi Mae from Kill Bill. I think he can do anything he wants. He he can just hear very well. He can hear the dropping microphone. Pick it up. He can hear the hoop. For yeah, he, he knows he knows by the wind too. He's got an idea. <laughs> okay, ball back to back picks. All right, I'm taking uh, I'm taking one that I do believe. Okay. First, right out the gate, that Lee Harvey Oswald did not act alone in killing JFK. That was on my board. Oh. What what's the ideas that you have? I, the mafia. I think it was the mafia. We've heard. Things like Sam Giancana and others, and that is all about um, JFK was killed because he didn't do what the mafia told him after they uh, got him the win in Illinois. Yeah, that's what I think it is. I think I think there's a lot of smoke to that, and I just I tend to believe that. One. What about the idea that Lyndon Johnson possibly was involved to get promoted to be president, or Secret Service may have been involved, and that's why we haven't seen the evidence all these years later. No, I know that they've got everything sealed to a certain date, like 2030-something. In our lifetime, we will see the different evidence. But I, I do believe that JFK, Lee Harvey Oswald didn't act alone. Okay. Uh, next right. pick, Paul. The next one is, I believe this one too. I believe that the 1985 NBA draft, that the draft lottery was rigged so that the New York Knicks would get the first pick. The theory on that was that one of the cards was put frozen free, placard. Right? Yeah, yeah, the frozen placard. Supposedly, after doing the the placards, they put one in a freezer so that when David Stern reached in to grab one, he would grab the cold one, and the cold one was the Knicks. He then pulled it out. Boom! The Knicks. The Knicks were to get Patrick Ewing, and I do believe it. I believe that to be true. Uh, my next pick, Bo's going to crush me for this one, um, but it's too entertaining to pass up. It is, uh, I think, when you think conspiracy theory, it is uh, it is top of the line. Um, this guy has gotten a lot of trouble recently, so again, I don't endorse this. I don't associate myself with this guy whatsoever. Uh, I'm going to go with Alex Jones's theory that the government is turning the frogs gay. They're putting stuff in the water to make the frogs gay. 
I wouldn't even bring up anything with Alex Jones. That guy is just a sorry piece of shit. <laughs> You're not wrong. I, I love that pig, Jones. And that guy. <laughs> you know, I've, sp- I've spoken out against InfoWorld several times, but damn if it's not entertaining. Yes. <laughs> I don't even find him entertaining. I don't. I don't. I find him just hateful and spiteful and just a genuine, total piece of fucking garbage. I. I'm sorry, I'm using some language. I he I really don't like him. Like I think he's one of the worst people in the world. Oh, he's horrible. Yeah. He's a horrible, horrible human being. Alex, and I hope all the bad things in life happen to him. Alex Jones up next is on InfoWars. He's gonna be like, Bo Cotter, the government's turning him to a hater. Hey, you know what? If Alex Jones wants to talk about me on there, go ahead, big boy. I dare you. I double dare you. Come on down here. I love uh TFC commenter does a satire bit on Borstool uh, where he, uh, he he calls InfoWars, he's uh, his sports version, InfoScores. Oh, <laughs> he's got the whole voice and everything played out. It's great. Uh, but, yeah, the government uh, putting stuff in the water during the Frogs game. Tom, uh, back to back. You know, I'm going to stick with the government theme here. Uh, probably shouldn't. <laughs> um, but Shout out DOD. Um, I'm going to stick with it, though. And this one's been gaining some traction. I've actually seen several stickers on the back of cars for this. And it's Birds Aren't Real. Have you guys heard of that? No. We were just talking about this at dinner tonight. That Birds Aren't Real, that they are essentially surveillance drones. Um, And it's, it's got some traction. I think half the people actually believe it. And I think half of the other part is just kind of like a ha funny, birds aren't real. There's even a, um, you know, there's a, a, a big Instagram account that sells shirts and a, a bunch of other merch that say birds aren't real. Um, and I am a, not a f- huge fan of it. I mean, I, don't, I think birds are real, obviously, um, but it is a good conspiracy theory nonetheless. Um, I guess I have a back-to-back pick, and um, the next one, I guess, still in the government realm of things. <laughs> I see uh, a theme here for the government employee. Right, is COVID and cancer are caused by 5G. Um, there's been a, a big 5G, and and you know I'll, I'll even make this a little bit closer to home. When I was staying with a friend here in Tulsa, uh, when I first moved to Tulsa, I moved in with my best friend, and I've since obviously got my own place. But um, I lived with him for about a year, and then there we were a part of a community that had um, an HOA, and they had like a legit meeting, I guess whatever company was building a 5g tower somewhere in the neighborhood or close to it. And there were, and I'll tell you where this is at in Tulsa. This is off 80, essentially 81st and Harvard between, um, between 81st and Harvard and 81st and Lewis. So right near ORU surprise, surprise, um, (laughs) shots fired. Um, that the 5G tower could cause cancer or COVID. That was on the HOA agenda for the meeting. And that the the residents there for that HOA were very concerned about 
the health and safety of its members because the 5G tower is going to essentially be over the neighborhood. And I really did want to go to see the crock of shit that was. Um, there are people that... I would, I would stand to say that there are just as many people that believe that 5G causes cancer and or COVID or any other, I don't know, illness than the same number of people believe that birds aren't real and that 9-11 was an inside job. What blows my mind about that whole 5G business and all the theories out there, like nobody gave a damn about 4G. Or 3G, and then 5G, everybody's got all these crazy theories about. Like, I mean, it's a cell phone tower thing. Yeah, it's just like, oh, 5G is the one that that gives me cancer. I, You know, and I could have, you could even double down and say that, like, sleeping with your cell phone next to your body at night, like, causes brain cancer. Radiation. Yeah, it's, it's a crock of shit. I really do believe it. Not that 5G causes cancer or COVID, but. That's that's a silly, silliness. Okay, my next pick. I feel like that uh, if I don't pick this now, somebody else will. So uh, I'm going to go with the Denver Airport theory. Mm. Uh, Listen to this, in case people don't know. Some theorists believe the Denver International Airport stands above an underground city, which serves as a headquarters for the New World Order. Theorists cite the airport's unusual large size, its distance from the Denver city center, uh, Masonic and alleged satanic symbols, as well as a set of murals, which include depictions of war and depth. depth. So uh, the Denver airport. Uh, Bo, you ever heard of that one? I did hear of that one, yes. and I don't believe hardly any conspiracy theory that doesn't have, I mean... These things are wild. People with the whole new world. It's such a minute world amount of people that believe in some of this shit. Like, I mean, it's like one in a, you know, 10,000. And that one person's that one drunk uncle you have who lives in a fucking trailer on some piece of land that was given to him to hunt on 20 years ago. And he's wearing a tinfoil hat. That's the kind of shit this is. And... Yeah, I, I I just don't dig any of it. I'm like, eh, yeah, whatever. Have you have you seen the paintings at that Denver airport? No, I've heard I've heard things about it. They are pretty crazy. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm not going to say I believe it or anything, but it, that is that is linked to to be another good conspiracy theory if you could like link it to a direct title uh, with like New World Order and like Freemasonry mm-hmm. and Illuminati. Do you really believe in a new world order? <laughs> but the only new world no, order I, I, I believe in personally. was look. The only new one I believe in was Hulk Hogan, Kevin Nash, and Scott Hall. That was the NWO. That's the only NWO, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, as far as new world order, obviously, I think it's a little bit more substantiated than maybe five G, just because of Freemasonry and all the secrets across the skull and bones. I used to, to be honest with you, I used to be, I used to watch hella videos on things when I was thought I was like a, uh, a woke counterculture junior in high school. And that's why I knew about some of these things like nine 11. You ever watch a documentary called loose change does make you ask some questions again. Don't think it's necessarily true, 
does make you ask some questions. I used to be, and if you really want to get deep down into it, you can go on Reddit on our conspiracy. There are some laughable and some ironic, and then there are some that are like, hmm. I'll let you know when I believe in them. Oh, back to my picks. All right. First one, I'm not sure how I feel on this one. It could be right. It could be true. It could be false. That Michael Jordan was actually suspended and did not retire. Okay. Suspended for gambling? Yeah. Suspended for gambling instead of when he retired the first time. Yeah. So I don't know if I believe it. You know, again, there's some smoke, there's some fire. I don't know, but, I mean, it's always kind of been out there. This one I don't necessarily believe, but I think it's funny, and it's not, like, stupid funny. And that's that Mattress Firm is actually a money laundering company. I mean... I would not be shocked. Yeah, that was one. It, it How do you, I read about it. Every was, time I've been to a Mattress Firm, there's nobody in there. How do they make yeah. money? Yeah, yeah, when COVID happened, wh- how? They have so many brick-and-mortar stores. Yeah. That's one I could get behind. Yeah. And the thing I saw was, like, especially, like, in the Chicagoland area, where, like, they have, like, 25 stores in, like, a 20-mile area. You know, I, I just don't – I I don't know if I believe it, but I think that's harmlessly funny. <laughs> that's a good one. All right, I'm back in the clock now. Um, this one for me is one of those things that my family wished was true because it was like a sign of a hope of sorts that there was still something out there. Uh, back in the day, there was an idea that Elvis Presley wasn't really dead, that he didn't yeah, die. And, you know, my family was real close to the Presleys and everything. and. And, uh, I mean, my grandmother still to this day adores Elvis. There was this idea for a long time that he was kind of just hanging around in Mississippi, living incognito or whatever. Um, Now, I mean, obviously, that's never been proven to be true, of course. But it it was one of those things where I think it was it was kind of harmless, this theory, because it was just a sign of optimism that people wanted to believe that Elvis was still around. They didn't want to accept that this American icon had died so young like he did. Uh, so Elvis for me is uh, is this pick, Tom. That's a pretty good one. Um, I, I, I like a good person didn't die conspiracy and fake death or, you know, went somewhere else. I mean, they, you know, they, they say Elvis died, don't you? On the toilet. On the toilet, yeah. That's how Live from the Shit was created. Yeah, see, that's why I, don't, I never believed that one, because if you were going to fake a death, that is not how you'd fake it. Yeah, yeah. if I die on the shit, um, yeah, but- I went out like a G playing Frogger with Tyler for <laughs> insurance money. Yeah, if, if for some reason I do die on the toilet of a heart attack, I need y'all to be like, okay, look, what actually happened was someone broke in the house they shot him three times, and then he had a heart attack. While he was using the bathroom. While going to the bathroom, yeah. You're yeah. not going to get me with having a heart attack in the show. All right. But you, I, I will say, as someone who grew up in the South, that was a huge one when I was a kid. Yeah. 
that Elvis was still alive. And people believed it for a very, very long time. Tom, back-to-back picks, uh, four and five for you. So I'm going to double down on on that one as well. I'm still going to stick. My my next pick after this one's still going to be um, government conspiracy, but um, I'm going to double down on that, and I, I'll raise you a couple, like, I don't know, 30 years after Elvis, and I'll go maybe even less than that. I'll go Tupac's not really dead. Yeah, you know, you want to talk about famous figures, and if and if you look at it, the way that Elvis was brought up, you, I mean, you you can go back to yours, like with the knee shaking and stuff. You can go that even the government killed Elvis because he was like a counterculture figure. You look at Jimi Hendrix, kind of a, a, a icon in terms of pop culture and and movements. Uh, Tupac very much the same way, if not even way more. You could throw Biggie in there too. Uh, Biggie's, and we kind of know who killed Biggie. Um, he'll never serve time for, but screw Suge Knight. But um, it should not being alive. Um, you know, there have been people say that they've found him or he was, you know, killed and then or supposedly killed and then kind of faked his death to start somewhere else. So the government kind of exiled him, um, so to speak. So I'll say that's going to be my other one. I mean, you know, that'll be Tupac's not dead. Okay. That's brought up every now and then. Okay. Um, turnaround pick. I'm surprised Bo didn't take this one, but I'll go with the stolen election bullshit. <laughs> uh, January. I think Jones believes that one too. That's there you go. Uh, uh, the election was not fucking stolen. I'll tell you who the the Trump's the only president that's not been uh, for the the peaceful transfer of power. Um, you can toss in QAnon with this bullshit. They should all rot in hell and die. Uh, I might get some flack from that, but bring the QAnoners on. I live in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Show up at my house around and find out. <laughs> All right. Uh, next on the board for me, this one is something that got a lot of flack at the time. It is uh, a, an old conspiracy theory, but found new life again recently. And uh, I think the guy that spread this got too much criticism for saying it. Um, Cause he, I thought he was clearly joking, but people still got mad about it. Uh, Kyrie Irving in the flat earth. Um, Perfect. His whole idea, you know, the earth's flat. And then, you know, he came back later on and said, yeah, I was just joking about that. And Draymond Green said, you know, he agreed and all this. And people are saying he was a bad role model and all that. I mean, there are a number of things to complain about Kyrie Irving about, Bo. I don't have a problem with him joking around about the earth being flat. I don't like giving any credence to any bullshit kind of stuff like that. And that's my problem with Kyrie Irving. I'm not a Kyrie. Look, I hate Kyrie Irving. And that's part of it is the whole if he I think he really believes it. I think he thinks he's the smartest guy in the room, no matter what he room definitely he does. What's that? He definitely does. Yeah. And I think he believes the flat earth thing. I, I think he I think when he said he was joking, I think he was lying. How I did he get 
Uh, you know what I mean? How, how did he get into Duke? He was a good basketball player. I see, there's another conspiracy theory. I'm, I might target KU next. <laughs> uh, Ball, uh, your, uh, let's see, you, you have another pick here? I got, yeah, I should have my last two, right? Last two, yeah. All right, so um, the first one here I'm going to go with is that Bruce Lee was killed by the Chinese triads. That's a great one. Yes. Um, I could believe that. I, I, I could believe it. I mean, it's. I tried to get the ones that weren't just funny, just way out there, bullshit kind of stuff. I went with the ones that are like, okay, I can see that. It's not too crazy, but it's not provable. Like nine eleven, yeah. I mean, come on. I mean, you know, you know, or anything. Alex Jones, Alex Jones and frogs. I think Alex Jones and frog. I think he doesn't like frogs because he's he looks like a frog. He doesn't like Patrick Mahomes confirmed. Yeah, well. And then my last one. I was doing some research on conspiracy theories. I had never heard this until today. And so I read up on this. I knew that you guys wouldn't go after this one. So I knew I'd make it my sixth one. Have you guys ever heard as a conspiracy theory that the famous book To Kill a Mockingbird was not written by Harper Lee? No. No. A conspiracy theory. Harper Lee's best friend was Truman Capote, who wrote in Cold Blood. And the rumor and the conspiracy theory is that Truman Capote wrote to kill a mockingbird while he was researching in cold blood. Hmm. Okay. So that was my last one is that Truman Capote is the real writer of To Kill a Mockingbird. How about that? Uh, yeah, that's unique. I've never heard that one, Tom. I had never heard it until today. I looked it up and I was like, oh, shit. and I've seen like the Capote movie and you know that if you've seen that movie, you know they're friends. And you know that while he was, when Truman Capote was doing all the research for In Cold Blood, that's when Harper Lee wrote To Kill a Mockingbird and then won the Pulitzer. There you go. You're showing it on the, yeah. I got and right one here. of the things that I've heard over time is that Truman Capote hated that Harper Lee won the Pulitzer and he didn't for In Cold Blood. Which is, I think they're both incredible books. They're two of my favorite books. And if you read both of them, they're very similar in style. That is a fair assessment. That is, a, yeah. that is very interesting, actually. And I've, I've never heard that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, very good final two picks there. Uh, my last pick, this one, uh, this got a lot of traction uh, probably about five years back. And people, there was – all sorts of websites and videos on this. And I think I heard it all throughout high school and college too. And we all laughed at it. Um, LeBron James is a part of the Illuminati. <laughs> the way that he, he held up the triangles uh, after three pointers and wearing the number six and, <laughs> and everything. Tom, do you remember that one? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I think Jones I, I, that too. Jones believes in the New World Order and the Illuminati. I think Jones wants to be part of the Illuminati really badly. I'm not opposed. 
Yeah, I think that you want to be right there with your boy Trump and the Illuminati. The Illuminati. I, you know, just because if was you mine. believe a lot of this shit that you're spewing over here, then yeah, he is. Tom, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, last pick for you to end the draft. All right, like I like I said, disclaimer here: we don't necessarily believe any of this. Some of it I do believe, and this is one that I think has a lot more justification. I will say, and uh, you know, they're you know, if I end up dead, you know, no one's mentioned Jeffrey Epstein, but I'm not gonna. Say, I'm not Epstein. Epstein, he's dead. It doesn't matter. Uh, disgrace to his name. Um, so I'm not gonna mention that. What I am gonna mention is back after 9-11, uh, they ju- I think, I think, and I, I somewhat do believe this, to be honest with you, look at the history of United States and wars or on foreign soil, I don't think there was weapons of mass destruction overseas in Afghanistan, Iran, Iraq. I don't think there was weapons of mass destruction at all. Um, that's not a conspiracy theory. That was proven. That's kind of been proven. Well, I'm, I'm saying those are all I, been kind of proven. Tom. No, 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 no. When I no, when I say that, I, I'm saying the conspiracy <laughs> theory that, that the U.S. justifies war on foreign soil for other interests that oh, are yeah. national security. Yeah. I and and you know I I mentioned nine eleven at first. I'm not. I'm not saying that maybe a little bit of that was part of justification for foreign oil or for foreign interest other than national security. That's my, that's, that's the one out of all the ones that I've chosen that I think there are other reasons that we've chosen to go to war that were not for national security purposes. So so I've written this down for you as U.S. fakes national security concerns for war. That, that's spot on. You know, that's been confirmed like four times now. I mean, the Gulf of Tomkin, uh, you know, uh, of the massive weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. Okay, okay, okay. Well, I mean, you can Some ask. Some of those ask, are true. We, we know those are true now. <laughs> I mean, ask, okay, so then, okay, this, this brings up another discussion then. So why is everybody so, like, baffled when they say 9-11 was an inside job? I think because of the the nature of what 9/11 was it was clearly a terrorist act we, we don't want to kill our own citizens well if you look at the other ones they weren't killing the US citizens I mean that's true but yeah I mean the Gulf of Tonkin and and Iraq when weapons of mass destruction those were not two events that caused the loss of American lives at the time you could argue we did afterwards when we get there and we get in the battles Vietnam yeah, well, that was the Gulf of Tonkin. That's what created the Vietnam War. So, yeah. to recap, here's our draft picks. Tom went with 9-11 inside job. Birds aren't real. Uh, COVID and cancer caused by 5G. Tupac isn't dead. The 2020 election rigged. U.S. fakes national security concerns for war. That was Tom's team. My team was Stevie Wonder isn't blind. Uh, Alex Jones's theory that the government is turning the frogs gay in the water. The uh, Denver airport uh, been involved with the New World Order. Uh, Elvis isn't dead. Kyrie Irving and the Flat Earth. LeBron being a part of the Illuminati. 
Bo's team, JFK's death, not by Lee Harvey Oswald, but by the Mafia. The 1995 NBA draft was rigged uh, in favor of the Knicks. MJ's suspension, uh, MJ was suspended, and that's why he played baseball. Uh, Mattress Firm, Money Laundering, Bruce Lee's death, and To Kill a Mockingbird has a fake author. So those are the picks. Uh, A wild draft did not disappoint. Bo, what's uh, your reaction to the team? Well, I made sure that anything I did was at least somewhat reasonable. I was not going to spout right-wing nutjob conspiracy theories. Like Tom and I did. Well, and you you believe them. So, I mean, I understand if you're going to do them. Um, <laughs> I just love giving you creep. I love you, Jonesy. Um, you know, you guys went to those things. I just went to that because I thought that's more reasonable. At least I, I went to stuff that, in my case, that I was like, okay, either I believe it, which I do want two of them. I do believe that JFK, the Lee Hall Ralphs didn't act alone. I believe that the NBA draft was rigged. I think the other ones, I don't have any proof, but I it's not too far-fetched. I stayed away from the nut job stuff, and I stayed away from stuff that I thought was way too far-fetched. Um, of mine, I believe none. <laughs> I will say, like, on yours, Jonesy, like I said, growing up, the Elvis thing was popular. Like, you know, a lot of, like, conspiracy theories, it's like just a small percentage of a percent. You know, it's one hundredth or one tenth of one percent of people believe it. I will say in the South, in the 80s, a lot of people thought Elvis was still alive. Right. And I, so that one, I was like, that's a good one. The one I want to believe, I mean, Elvis is it, it would be one. That'd be great if he was still around. Um, the one I, I want to believe is that Stevie Wonder isn't really. Yeah, born. if there was one of them I wanted to believe out of yours, it would definitely be Stevie Wonder. Yeah, I agree with that. It's and the then on Tom's actress firm is a money laundering scheme. Yeah. <laughs> out of all the picks, I 110 percent believe that that could be very possible. But if they want to sponsor this show, then we, then. <laughs> no, we, we don't believe that. Yeah, and then like, I, pun intended, you're sleeping on it. Yeah, right. on Tom's. I mean, Tom's last one, I think, is true. I mean, there are definite historical true. events to show that some of that is true. I, I I do think that we don't like to think that we don't like to think it because it scares us. Yeah, I don't think we like to think it that the government could kill its own citizens for foreign interests. Listen, you can call me crazy. I'm not going to be the guy in the corner. But I'm also not going to be the guy that says I don't think it can happen. Yeah. Right. And then I do think the like the Tupac not dead, that was one for a while people thought that Tupac faked his death. But Tupac got shot on a strip in Las Vegas. I mean, I, I've been to the spot. I've seen the placard. It's there. Yeah, Tupac got killed. But that's one that I'd also, that'd be the one of, of the ones that Tom has. That would be the one I would want to believe. Um, oh, can you imagine? But could you imagine? But Tupac, if he was alive, could have never walked away from the life. Okay, real quick, we'll wrap up on this uh, around the room. What was the craziest of your theories that you picked? Well, uh, Tom, you you go first. What was the craziest one? You know, I would love to think that nine uh, eleven is an inside job is the craziest. 
So I'll stick with that. I think yours, the craziest, is birds aren't real. I've seen birds. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's true. Um, my craziest is got to be the flat earth. We've proven that's just not factually yeah. correct. Uh, yeah. Not possible. But, uh, that, that one. Well, that one, and then I think that LeBron part of it, I don't believe in, in Illuminati. So. <laughs> I think that the Illuminati or a New World Order is not something that is possible. <laughs> um, the Denver Airport one's one I kind of want to believe, too. <laughs> that one to me is, is one. Uh, Bo, what's, uh, what's your craziest you think, George? I think the craziest one for me is actually probably the mattress firm. I think it's pause, plausible. But I don't think it's likely. Um, and I don't think we have very many undrafted free agents. I think we we covered the big ones. I think like Area Fifty One. None of us drafted Area Fifty One. Yeah, the the theories on that are like all kind of incomplete. Yeah. Um, There's no like universal theory. This is what it is. Yeah. Um, the other one I had on my list was uh, about an evil dictator, but since I didn't pick it, we'll just keep it out there. Um, a we, certain we had an evil dictator in America for four years. <laughs> <laughs> a certain evil dictator that starts with an H uh, didn't die but escaped to Brazil. Was That's, on my board. you know what that is? Yes, that that, that because many Nazis did. Um. That was my next one on my board. But since I didn't have to pick it, I won't say it. There's a number of conspiracy theories about Jimmy Hoffa and his disappearance. Yeah. So I don't know what those all are. And then yeah, what about Bigfoot? Barrel. Oh, Bigfoot. We, we missed Bigfoot. Yeah. Yeah. I would have said like... Um... Bigfoot is... Uh, he's just now a mascot for the Oklahoma City Thunder. There you go. I would have said something like MK Ultra kind of more theories there's more theories behind what's than what's been kind of proven on that and then probably i don't know no one really picked the uh q anon people saying that jfk's what was his brother was going to appear in yeah. doubt at the side of his jfk's assassination and there was people that went there um but yeah. Tom mentioned jeffrey epstein without taking him yeah the other one I thought of was the rumor or the, the conspiracy theory that, that crack was actually introduced by the CIA. Oh. <laughs> we could do a whole show on that. I think it was. I mean, there is some smoke to that fire. That's, that's definitely that's, some smoke to that fire. That's a good one. I, I should, it that would one. not that that would not surprise me. Yeah, it was to it was to derail the Black Panthers, hundred percent. Guys, uh, it's been fun. Uh, very creative. The uh, the minds were working on this one, guys. Uh, applaud the creativity on in this draft. And Tom, one more time for the folks at home, uh, run that disclaimer by one more time, please. Yeah, don't we? We don't necessarily agree or um, believe any of these. It's all for entertainment. This show's all for entertainment purposes, the same way that that Alex Jones show should be, but. Uh, the difference between us and InfoWars is we don't actually we actually believe Sandy Hook did happen, um, and we also believe that uh, you know some opinions like Alex Jones and others 
hurt people. I don't think we hurt anybody with our opinions today or our picks of conspiracy theories. So also our retweets don't um, reflect our employers' uh, uh, beliefs or opinions. Anything we said on this does not reflect, uh, reflect our employers unless we work for O'Connor Advisor. You know, <laughs> you know, as my own boss, I can you know say what I want, but uh, I will say that none of the opinions that have been given here reflect anything from LPL Financial <laughs> or its affiliates. Yes, both life insurance is a scam or something. Right. Well, thanks for playing with fire this week, literally. <laughs> Uh, we'll talk to you next week hey thanks guys have a great weekend final segment before we go it is our Tom Fulry story of the week where Thomas Bruges tells us something ridiculous happening in the world Tom where shall we go to this time Jones we're going overseas we are going to Japan Um, and this comes from vinepair.com um, from their, I guess, little section called Booze News. And article reads, Young people aren't drinking a lot in Japan. The government wants to change that. Article starts off, this comes actually today, or I, I guess by the time it's released yesterday. And it reads, While numerous after-school specials warn young adults of the dangers of drinking, Japan's government is taking a different approach. A new campaign by the country's government aims to increase drinking among younger Japanese residents. Uh, In the late summer, Saki Viva contest, the country's national tax agency, is trying to promote alcohol consumption among younger people, as The Guardian reports. It's called for 20 to 39-year-olds to submit their ideas for innovative products, and packaging for alcoholic drinks. Entrants are even encouraged to venture into the metaverse with ideas that might pique their peers' interests. The purpose behind the campaign? Raising tax revenue. Japan's tax-funded projects have suffered in recent years, and it's estimated that the nation's budget currently sits at 48 trillion yen, which translates to 349 billion USD deficit. While non-alcoholic beverages have gained popularity worldwide in the past year, young people in Japan are cutting back on drinks. The pandemic served as a catalyst for the dip in the country's alcohol consumption. As more employees shifted to working from home, sales dipped drastically and haven't since rebounded. In 2020, the amount of beer sold in the country declined by 20%, according to Japan Times. While the tax department pushes for higher consumption rates, the Guardian reports that Japan's health bureau also is promoting a reminder to drink in moderation and within health recommendations. Jones, this is crazy to me because I can tell you during 2020 when I, you know, I left Philip 66 and I went to a bartending job with thoughts to go back to school, COVID hit, and then I got that sweet and with no shame here. This is no shame. Um, some people do unemployment for a lot longer and I took the opportunity to find a job that and not settle for a job, um, during 2020 after I, after the bars closed down, I said, you know what, I'm going to find a job that I really, really like before I go back to work. If I can just get this sweet, sweet unemployment, traveled, did some traveling, traveled around the U S uh, during COVID, just mainly outdoor things. 
And uh, I drank way, 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 way more. I had all that free time. If I wanted to get fucked up at noon on a, on a Wednesday, I could do so uh, without any repercussions, without any judgment. Um, there were even drinking competitions or little drinking stories for your Instagram. And then you challenge the next five people to take shots. And we did that. And so this is very surprising that Japan during COVID did not drink more. They drank less, 20% less. Um, and even as is, is even kind of uh, continued on. Maybe I didn't take the right path. Maybe I should have took the healthy approach during COVID and drank less and, and got my body right, which is a, just an everyday struggle still. I should be better. I should take up your chat sports chase seniors idea um and and start running and being more mindful but i can tell you in the pandemic um it was drinks all day baby um so very surprising that they would not only promote drinking but also release the reason why that they are promoting drinking they're like damn we're not getting enough tax money um, let's just let everybody tell everybody to drink. You know, I don't, I don't never been to Japan, so I don't know what the culture is like over there in terms of like drinking culture. Maybe it's more so, um, you know, maybe the drinking culture is more so like going out for drinks and not so much stopping by a liquor store, picking up a six pack on your way to watch the Thursday night game. Um, but I don't know. Crazy to me, Jones. Um, I don't know. I can tell you that that the U.S. if they did this and they were like, "Listen, people are not drinking enough. We need everybody to start drinking and getting drunk all the time, so we can raise more tax. We can raise tax money for I don't know whatever we need." Um, it's pretty crazy to me. I don't know, Jones. I, I feel like if maybe me and you could take over, you know, take a trip over to Japan and and help raise tax money. Yeah, I would be game for it. Uh, I'm always open to uh, new possibilities, trying new things, especially something like this. I, I, I will say, Tom, I feel like that I know that the circumstances that Japan's address, why they're doing this, the need and everything, but I think there's a pretty good chance they'll regret this later down the road, right? Yeah, I would assume so. And, you know, I'll tell you what. Uh, one thing Japan has really, really going for it, and not a lot of people that, that I know, only like more craft cocktail people around here or people who are really into spirits really know about. Um, I can tell you that just from being around just any old dive bar, just bars in general. Not a whole lot of bars have Japanese whiskey. And one thing that Japan does really, really, really well um, is whiskey. Uh, I mean, they have a great whiskey selection. Um, I mean, they, they do that on a very high level. Um, I've never had like a piss poor Japanese whiskey. Every Japanese whiskey I've had has been higher priced, higher, you know, a little bit more expensive. That could be because of shipping costs and supply chain issues. But I can tell you the Japanese whiskey that I've had has been, it's been off the charts good, especially Toki. Um, so if you get the chance to pick you up some Toki, um, do that. It is about, you could probably find it in Dallas, probably 55, 60 a bottle. All you need to do is mix that with some, uh, soda water and throw a little bit of lime or lemon in it, especially lemon and you're set. 
Uh, it's, it's some of the best whiskey out there. So it is surprising. I know if I moved to Japan or went over there, I would be heavily drinking all the Japanese whiskey for a lower price than I could get it here. Um, so it is shocking. It is shocking that the government would... Re- that would be like government... that Like a U.S. A U.S. equivalent of that would be like, listen, everybody's not eating enough McDonald's. We need everybody to just start ordering five Big Macs a day and just start gobbling them some bitches down. That's the U.S. equivalent of the government telling people to do something that is, you know, usually not health conscious. And you know what would happen, too, is in America, if we made that call to action, people would respond so fast that the crisis would be solved so fast. I mean, I've said for the longest time, Tom, if McDonald's was in charge of ending hunger in Africa, they'd get it done in two years. And I believe a crisis like that, you know, if if McDonald's was called upon, like we we have enough, we would take care of that pretty quickly. Yeah. I mean, because we, you know, we still pump out so much, you know, I, I did see a, a little, uh, like a news blurb on, on, you know, prices for fast food. Actually, I saw this on the old Fox 23, Tulsa's Fox, Tulsa's own. Covering uh, news that matters. Yeah. And they, they had a, um, a little blurb, a quick blurb the other night, um, that, you know, fast food menu items like, uh, the dollar menu have been diminished through global supply chain issues and inflation. That the dollar menu you really see is no more now. It's called a value menu. Um, and it's still, you know, higher priced than five years ago, which I get. You know, I, I get the global supply chain issues and I get the shipping costs and I get inflation. Um, but damn it, if 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 they there was a call to action to to you know eat more fast food with it there would never be in america because we already do it so for japan to release a call to action to be like y'all we need y'all to get drunk a little bit more um if there was a call to action like that in the u.s it, it would be you know just you know and lower the happy hour prices instead of three dollar beers we want dollar beers you know have more dollar beer nights at local games and boost the economy um you know we would it would happen, you know. It's it's uh, it's especially funny, you know, that you know they they wanted more drinking or whatever, and 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 I, and I think this could be kind of a. Tell me if I'm wrong, Jones, and and anybody listening in, you can tell me if I'm wrong. You can tweet me, Instagram me. Um, I, I feel like Japan is more focused on you know the population going down or you know like like our age jones even america too it could be anywhere actually we're not having as many kids right you know when our parents were our age like i can tell you when my dad was my age now he was my age when he had me uh he had actually just turned 29 when he had me and i'm about to turn 30 in a couple of months um but I don't even have one kid. You don't have any kids. I don't know how old your mom was when she had you. I don't have any kids that I know of. No, I mean, how old was Lisa when she had you? 29, and my dad was 27, so I'm 26 right now. Okay, so you're about that age. I guess 
my dad was like 24 and my mom was 20 when they had my sister. Yeah, I guess, well, something like that. Five years difference. And then however many years later, like four years, there's, I guess there's a four year difference between uh, my oldest sister and me. And then about a four year, almost a four year difference between my sister, my youngest sister and myself. So, but yeah, I mean, there's no way I, well, I technically I could pump three kids out in one night. (laughs) It just had to be be with three different women and we know that's not happening. Um, But yeah, I mean, the time that it takes to have a kid, there's no way I could replicate that. So maybe Japan's, maybe they're killing two birds with one stone. We need to raise tax money. So get drunk. People who also go out to the bars and drink also hook up with a bunch of people. And and there's probably, Jones, more people that you and I know in terms of friends and acquaintances that were literally conceived off of a drunken one-night stand. Yeah. So maybe it's killing two birds with one stone. You might be onto something. You very well maybe. Um, fascinating uh, discussion here on the uh, Jones Report this week uh, on All uh, that conspiracy theory. Yes. Another one. Another undrafted free agent. Yes. There you go. Yes. So, as we're wrapping up, Tom, um, are you headed to Japan? Will you take this upon yourself to help out with their crisis here? I think that would be the humanitarian thing to do. As long as I got to be like a, 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 a Toki representative or some fine Japanese whiskey and count me in. I'll drink. I'll, I'll I'll raise the taxes myself if I have to. Take matters into your own hands. Exactly. I'll be the savior for Japan's economy. Right. And then uh, we'll have to give you the Nobel Peace Prize for it. Yeah. Give me the key to Tokyo. Right. Yes. You should. Afterwards, you should never have to pay for a drink again in Japan. Deal. Let's get the plane tickets submitted. Okay, we'll get right on that. We got to go. Big thanks to David Alexander and Brad O'Connor for stopping by and joining us on today's show, as well as you, the listener, as well. And uh, be sure to subscribe to the Jones Board. New episodes out each and every Thursday on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Leave us a five-star review or don't leave us one at all. Check us out on Facebook, facebook.com slash Tyler Jones Live, facebook.com slash Studio Soapbox. Twitter at Tyler Jones Live, Twitter at Thomas underscore Bridges, Twitter at Studio underscore Soapbox, Instagram, Tyler Jones Live, Insta Thomas, and Jones underscore Report. You can find us there. And uh, we'll see you right back here next week as we charge on to the beginning of football season. We're going to be all over it here on the Jones Report. You will not want to miss a moment of it. Check out the entire Studio Soapbox Network this show coach Bo with his show let's go racing with david Starr, and our whole library of shows uh, just search studio soapbox wherever you listen to podcasts and you can check out all of our shows there for thomas bridges and our entire crew of tyler jones thanks so long it's been another edition of jones Sport. we'll see you next week <laughs>